Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. To the president tonight, under pressure after his own tariffs igniting a trade war, other countries retaliating, it is many American farmers paying the price. You heard from many of them last night right here. Well, tonight, the president with a new promise. Reaching out to the European Union, he called them a foe just a week ago, but late today calling a press conference outside the White House to say they will now work together. ABC's Terry Moran at the White House tonight. Reeling under increasing pressure from American farmers, congressional Republicans, and nervous Wall Street investors, President Trump suddenly shed his trade warrior persona today and declared a truce with the European Union. Now to the late development that could mean the U.S. and its European allies are stepping back from the brink of a trade war. The president announcing a compromise today with the EU, but offering few details. Yet the nation's automakers and some suppliers say they're already feeling the pain from the trade war on another front with China. NBC's Tom Costello with more now on how it could all impact the price you pay. They make door hinges for the Jeep Wrangler on this Michigan assembly line, a small company with nearly 50 employees that gets its parts from China. But President Trump's tariffs on Chinese imports has Lucerne International considering layoffs. Oh, Jeff, President Trump and the president of the European Commission both said their negotiation went very well after months of escalating tension that led to tariffs on a total of about $10 billion worth of goods. And the two leaders said they have agreed to further talks on a new trade deal to lower existing barriers. Now, they did not provide many specifics, but said Europe has agreed to buy more more products from the U.S., including soybeans and liquefied natural gas. Both sides have agreed to lower industrial tariffs and resolve the steel and aluminum ones already in place. They also agreed to hold off on proposed tariffs on cars. Now, President Trump made it a point to say that today marks the new phase of a, quote, close friendship after we just heard in that interview uh, with you, Jeff, that he called the EU a foe. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 30th of July, year of our Lord, 2018. And that was, of course, the trade war back off by the EU. Only one channel covered it, as per usual. Every time we turn around and there's something positive, we're not going to cover it because we hate Trump, and I got it. There's plenty of reasons to hate Trump, but as you'll hear later, and throughout this show, it seems like they root for recessions, failure, end of days. It's pretty fucking un-American. And my recurring theme on this show has always been, let you do that with Obama, see how far you get. Just see how far you get. So, a uh, couple things up front. Instead of music today, we're going to play sound bites of two shows I watched. I watched the Netflix Extinction, which is a mind fuck. Good movie. I really like that Pena, I think is his name. I love the actor. Um, um, so that's going to be one soundbite. And the other... What the fuck? What was the other soundbite? <laughs> My brain just locked itself. Uh, Dark Tourist. Watch Dark Tourist on Netflix. Very dark, as is the title. But uh, it was really good. So that's worth That'll be your break, too. Uh, on top of it, uh, during Light Affair, if I can squeeze it in... Talk us a little bit about Circus du Soleil. Uh, I've seen Love, uh, thanks to a 
friend of mine from um, U.S. Calvary, which I used to work for. We were directors together, and he forced me to go by paying for most of my ticket, and then I gave him a bunch of money because it was so good that I felt wrong taking money from somebody. I should have paid for it myself. But um, it's literally not the same. Corte, uh, Corte, I don't know how to fucking say it, because in the, in the show, it sounded like they were saying Corte, but it's mostly an Italian, it's a cute concept, not as crazy, and unlike the ones... I've you know the one I saw there was accident you know people dropped juggling and people fell down it was a little different um so long story short uh we'll talk about that if we, we get some time uh, I, I usually start the show with the one of these sound bites so I, I'm gonna do it after starting the show because it, it is my job to show that the media may not show you this stuff but it's happening and and so Before I end, that's my call to action here. Please don't just come here today and then go home. Go to the hill today. Get up and please get up in the face of some Congress people. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, there are children. There are children past this. There's children past this. Don't, don't, don't get this. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not worried. That was Occupy Antifa. I don't know what they're calling Occupy. I don't even know their name. They just occupy a lot of shit and, and, up front, most of them aren't going to cover it. They're, they're going to ignore this shit. Um, but they occupied a bunch of shit. And the funniest parts about it, I'm going to paraphrase this, is they are boycotting or protesting walls and the border, but they built the compound with walls. Yeah, you couldn't get in. They had guards and everything. Um, they as you heard in that one, spew racist shit to people because they're white and they're liberals. They can get away with it. Um, so that's that's up front. And, and then the second part of that was uh, Trump star. Um, crushed again. They have people guarding his star in Nazi uniforms because remember, everybody's a Nazi. That's, that's what you got to do. Um, and celebrities thought it was the greatest Electric Argus Moby, while reminding everyone that he still existed, stated that he found pleasure in the destructive act. This was real Donald Trump's star on Hollywood Boulevard, and yes, petty vandalism is petty, but if we're being honest, it's also deeply satisfying. Chelsea Handler, the fucking skankomatic. Quick question, is the man who vandalized Trump's star on Hollywood Walk of Fame single? Pretty safe bet. It's probably yes. Mini Driver, Darwinian Feminist. Uh... She said some shit. Mia Farrow, George Takaki, Josh Gad. The people that really nobody goes to see. Um, yeah, they, they love this shit, and somehow everybody cares what they say. Stephen Miller, best thing about Trump's star being cratered is Kevin Spacey's stars literally right next to it. It remains in perfect condition. Somebody else brought up Bill Cosby's Harvey Weinstein star. Nobody's crushing that. Trump maybe grabbed some pussy and is a womanizer. 
but at least he didn't rape people. You know, the worst you got on him is he fucked a porn star. I'm sorry, if I was a single man, I'd probably fuck a porn star if I was rich. It'd be just like a bucket list thing. It would happen. But, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Then the root went out, and, and I do these up front because I don't want them to get lost. This was viral this weekend. People outright losing it. And it's because they said U.S. officials don't specifically deny that Russian operatives altered votes. They say that there's no conclusive evidence to support it. That is simply not true. Reporters of every stripe are retweeting this. And finally, Jessica Hassam, good for the root for taking down this deeply irresponsible article claiming votes were changed. It ran wild across Twitter, pumped up by conspiracy theorists. I applaud them for removing the article entirely. Because misinformation can't continue to spread. But you should see all the people thought it was just fantastic. They took it down then put an editor's note. The story was an opinion piece asserting there was evidence. But there's no truth to that. It doesn't happen. But Donna Brazil retweeted it. Seth Abramson. Yes, the Seth Abramson. This is the compelling circumstantial evidence suggesting votes were changed by Russian hackers and Trump may not have been elected president. It goes on for 12 tweets read where this is very important. People need to read this. Donna Brazil's read on, but hold the amen button. It, it was a lie. It didn't happen. If anything, there's more proof that there's emails saying we as in Democrats, have fixed the machines. That was a Podesta email. So, looks like you, not the Russians. Which is, once again, if you want to go with the conspiracy theory that I totally love, and the backside of my brain housing group agrees with, there's more proof the Russians, uh, the the Democrats, what's the fucking difference nowadays? Everybody's a Russian, so I might as well call them Russians too. The Democrats hacked an election more than Russia did. They spent $46,000. You guys spent a billion. And you cooked your primary. So any way you cut it, yeah, you probably did more vote hacking than anybody else. So we're going to go fire for effect, and we're going to play a Project Veritas. I've edited it way down, because the shadow banning on Twitter came to fruition, because as liberals have spent all their time saying Republicans are wearing tinfoil hats, fucking Twitter admitted to it. Republicans are going after Twitter tonight. They say the social media giant has purposely kept some of them from appearing in search results. Correspondent Peter Ducey reports on what some consider the latest example of ideological censorship from the left. Fox News. Congressman Matt Gates is one of the Republicans whose Twitter handle was hidden for months from some curious users searching for him. Type his name, and he didn't pop up. Today, the president, whose Twitter account helped get him elected, wrote, Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Not good. We will look into this discriminatory and illegal practice at once. Many complaints. Another one of the allegedly blocked Republicans, RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. The conservative shadow ban appears to have been fixed this morning for the first time since May, when 
Twitter announced it would crack down on trolls contributing to an unhealthy dialogue. And Twitter staffers explained some troll-like behavior is fun, good, and humorous. What we're talking about today are troll-like behaviors that distort and detract from the public conversation on Twitter, particularly in communal areas like conversations and search. Those search bar changes aren't known to have impacted any Democrats. The spokesman for Donald Trump Jr., Andrew Sarabian, claims he was shadow banned too. He tells Fox News the targeted censorship of conservatives on Twitter isn't some fringe conspiracy theory. It's actually happening. Twitter insists our behavioral ranking doesn't make judgments based on political views or the substance of tweets. Congressman Gates isn't so sure. There are only four members of Congress that I've been notified have been shadow banned. Myself, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, and Devin Nunes. And the thing that we obviously all have in common is that we are four of the strongest supporters of President Trump, and we've been very critical of the Russia investigation. In 2017, a Twitter employee deactivated President Trump's account because he didn't like his policies, but it was live again 11 minutes later. These new accusations of bias may be probed for months. So this was broken on a non-conservative site, Vice. Twitter is limiting the visibility of prominent Republicans in search results. Alex Thompson writes, Twitter is limiting the visibility of prominent Republicans in search results, a technique known as shadow banning. And what it says is a side effect of its attempt to improve the quality of discourse on the platform. The Republican Party's chair, Ronna McDaniel, several conservative Republican congressmen, and Donald Trump Jr. spokesman no longer appear in the auto-populate drop-down search box on Twitter, Vice News has learned. It's a shift that diminishes their reach on the platform, and it's the same one being deployed against prominent racists to limit their visibility. Because in Democrats' eyes, if you are a Republican, you are a racist, so this makes totally sense. The profiles continue to appear when conducting a full search, but not in the more convenient and visible drop-down bar. The accounts appear to also populate if you already follow the person. Her tweet, Twitter's shadow banning, people on the right. Jonathan Swain must admit that when some R sources have complained about this, to me, I mock them to their faces at conspiracy theorists. This Vice article makes me rethink that, and response from Twitter is inadequate. Oh, it's very inadequate. Robbie Starbucks. When Louis Farrakhan, Linda Sasser, Kathy Griffin, Peter Fonda, and left-wing conspiracy accounts don't receive a search ban or censorship of any kind via Twitter, but only Republican politicians and journalists do, it's targeted political censorship. Hey, look, here's Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey with a short thread. Jack. A short thread addressing some issue folks are encountering as a result of our controversial health work. Specifically, the perception of shadow banning based on content or ideology. It suffice to say we have a lot more work to do to earn people's trust. There's a punchline coming, boys and girls. So Kevin Beekapore, some dick face from Twitter, this is his excuse. We've heard questions from some of you relating to our work to drive health conversation on Twitter. People are asking us about the breadth and precision of our work. The impact of our work on the search experience. Wanted to address these questions transparently here. And may we start using behavioral signals and machine learning to reduce people's ability to detract from healthy public conversation on Twitter. Doesn't stop Keith Oberman or anybody else call us all fuck faces, but you know, whatever. Uh, this approach looks at account behavior and interaction with other accounts that violate our rules. On one, we're always working to improve our behavior-based ranking models, their breadth and aggregate, blah, 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 too. Some accounts weren't being auto-suggested, even when people were searching for their specific name. 
a usage of the behavior signals within the search was causing this to happen and making search results seem inaccurate. We're making a change today that will improve this. We believe this work is really important to create a healthier Twitter, and we want to continue improving. Your feedback helps us do that, so please keep it coming, even though we'll ignore you if you're a Republican. David Byrd, serious questions. Machine learning? What are your criterion variables? What are your predictor variables? Account behavior? How do you parse, say, sarcasm or irony? Define healthy conversation, because it seems healthy conversation, as we'll see with some examples, is don't disagree with the left. I'll just say it right now. People were banned for retweeting stuff about gender dysphoria. Banned. That's not a healthy conversation. Even though medical professionals call transgenderism Gender dysphoria, it's a mental illness, it's not a real deal. McGill, you can't say that on Twitter because that is not healthy conversation. Razor, hail type, please ban all intolerant people that disagree with me. And that's what it is. Arthur Schwartz, you shadow ban the chairwoman of the GOP. You have zero credibility. Jordan Schnackel. From article, not a single member of the 78-person Progressive Caucus faces the same Twitter search. Not a single one. Pirate King, stop banning people you disagree with and allow everyone to speak their mind regardless of how anyone feels about it. There already exist features to mute or block people. There's absolutely no reason for your company to limit exchange of ideas regardless of toxicity. And I believe it. I totally believe it. Stephen Miller, I've rarely seen a company go so far out of its way to purposely discourage people from using their product. But remember, we played this on the show. Project Veritas showed it. I guess I kind of didn't stop talking to him and I went into me. Um, Showed it. And here's more of it. We're trying to get the city people not to go off. It's like the product thing. Let's say for the pro-Trump thing, and I am anti-Trump, I was like, oh, I just, I banned this whole account, I go to you, and then it's at your discretion, and if you're, if you're anti-Trump, you're like, oh, you know what, I'm always right, let it go. The idea of the shadow ban is that you ban someone, but they don't know they've been banned, because they keep posting, but no one sees their content, so they just think that no one's engaging with their content, when in reality, no one's seeing it. I, I don't know if Twitter does this anymore. How do you know if it's a lie and not a person? Oh, you use machine learning. You look for Trump or America, and you have like 5,000 like keywords to describe a redneck. And then you look, and you like parse all the messages, all like the pictures, and then you look for like stuff that matches like that stuff. So is it going to like ban, essentially ban certain mindsets and or people who could be negative? No. It's not going to ban mindset is going to bend like a way of talking. Do you, you have access to DMs at Twitter? Oh, I, I do. It's a lot of bad press if, if like, you know, people figure out that you're shadow banning them, it's like unethical in, in some way. Yeah, they say, oh, this is broken up, you know, I don't want it because, you know, it offends me. That's that. That's it. I ban this whole thing. I'm pretty sure every single employee at Twitter hates you. What we can do on our side is actually very terrifying. Our last video exposed Twitter's eagerness to turn over President Trump's direct messages 
to the Justice Department. We think today's release will help you understand why. Because although Twitter presents itself as politically neutral, its culture behind closed doors is one of blatant censorship, systematic bias, and political targeting. While many suspected this was the case, today we present the proof out of their own Twitter mouths. So probably about 90% anti-Trump? Maybe 99% anti-Trump. It's really hard to decide what to do about Donald Trump. Yeah, half of the people want to ban him, half of the people want to keep him. Does everybody at Twitter feel pretty much? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you got to go to Google in order to find the uh, the conservative. What department? Do you I'm in public safety. I do all the policy work for safety policy. I do. The, I'm in a controversial team. Oh my yeah. goodness! And the team, everyone says a lot about. Yeah. Olinda Hassan is a policy manager for Twitter Trust and Safety. Her team is responsible for Twitter's rules and regulations, determining what content is and isn't allowed. Just last month. Trust and Safety updated their policy in an effort to crack down on racism and other forms of hate speech. But how do you keep like like my timeline? Like how do you keep certain things off my timeline? So like when people will like read we're, we're trying to downrank it, but you need to also have a control of your timeline. I try to like block people like Turnovich and stuff like that. By the weekend's end, the, the excuses by Twitter were so bad. Here is a Babylon B article. Twitter CEO apologized for allowing conservatives on platform in the first place. In response to criticism of alleged shadow ban of certain right-leaning accounts on the platform, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey apologized Friday for allowing conservatives on the platform in the first place. The visibly distraught CEO openly wept as he expressed his great remorse for ever having allowed conservatives open accounts let their let their worldview just hang out there for the whole world to see twitter has always been a welcoming accepting place so there's obviously no room for anyone even slightly right of center dorsey said i see that now i've learned and grown from my experience and i hope the far left mobs can find it in their heart to forgive me rather than demanding i be fired on the spot I'm so, so sorry. Representatives from the teeming hordes of angry liberals on the platform confirmed that they would accept Dorsey's apology so long as he vows to do better and support the firing and public lynching of any person found of espoused conservative views on his platform at any point in the past. It goes on. I'm not going to read it. It's straight up true. It's true. Grant Glenn Greenwald. This is in disingenuous. Jack, trying to reply to him because he's losing the PR speech. We don't block who you follow on your timeline. We do rank the timelines, so you may not seem see them there if those tweets are not relevant as others. You can also turn this ranking off. Mike Velachutki, you remove users from public feed searches and who to follow. You base this on whether the other users block mute not based on content. Saying something is still visible to their existing followers but hidden from the public is still banning. So, some examples. Amelia, if you're looking for Kat McKinley, the sweetest woman on Twitter today, you won't find her. She's been suspended for hate speech. And these weren't even new tweets. One was a year ago and one was a, uh, a year after that. And another one was from a month ago. So, somebody went through her old tweets. Yes, her tweets are visible. But she's unable to tweet. And she's 
limiting the transgender troops, which I feel was normalizing mental disorder. Next one. Please do not pretend you know nothing nothing about extreme Muslim beliefs that condone honor killings. I'm sorry, but those are true statements, folks. There is such thing as honor killing. And finally, finally, Twitter got hit. Twitter shares experienced worst single-day percentage drops since 2014 after reporting declining monthly active users and this. They went down. And I loved it. But they're not the only one. Facebook admits it made a mistake rejecting pro-gun political ad. They rejected it outright. There was no reason not to. Google, if you search up comedy, Adolf Hitler's picture comes up. Funny movie producers. Literally, that's it. Producers, comedy, Adolf Hitler's the fourth best producer of comedy. And then they ran a whole week where Orrin Hatch was dead. Orrin Hatch. So, yeah, that's 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 where we go with, with Twitter. But, I mean, it, it's not surprising I did a tweet screed that actually got retweeted a lot, which surprised me. Um, but this is how the Internet's always been. Uh, WSMV is an NBC channel out of Nashville. They used to have uh, Bitch Box. It wasn't called that. But they started with a camera in a mall, and you can go up and complain about shit. And then they turn it into a basic first, you know, that old chat stuff where... You never could really reply to people because it was, you know, you had to go back up to threads and the threads just kept building. It was really confusing. And I got addicted to the stuff once I got a computer. And then I went on and, and moved on to U.S. Politics Online. I think it's still out there, but it was gigantic. They had actual terrorists on that fucking site. And fact was, the owner, all the mods, they were all liberal. So. I remember getting, and I was addicted to it. I was living out in the van down by the river in the Mojave Desert. And, man, that was my life at that time. I would sit and argue and hone my political, you know, point of view and blah, blah, blah. And I get banned for saying, you're a hypocrite. And I'd have people call me a fucking Nazi, fucking brown shirt. They could do it because the libs own the site. And by the end of this little tweet screen, this is the internet. The internet, once again, was invented by Al Gore, for Christ's sake. So, I mean, you know it's a liberal institution. And they think they own the internet. But more importantly, they think they they do, in our country, unfortunately, own conversation. They're the ones that put out lines. You can't say this. You can't say that. You can say it yesterday, but we changed our mind because you're winning the argument. So you can't say that. Can't have the opinion that, you know... Traditional marriage is a good thing. Can't have an opinion that 16-year-old girls shouldn't be able to go get abortions. Can't have an opinion that transgenderism is just a fucking fad kids are doing right now. Um, just the simple, you believing in God and, and celebrating Christmas about Jesus' birthday. Yeah, yeah, that shit's crazy to the left. And, and you're a lunatic. They own conversation. They, they've always owned it. Because they peddle in that. that. That's how they get elected. They get elected by outlawing whole conversations 
So they win the argument. And, and it's pervade through our media. It's per, I mean, everything. That's why we're still hearing about grabbing pussy and some cone videotape about Trump banging Stormy Daniels. You don't hear Weinstein. You don't hear Moonvez from fucking or Moonvez, whatever. CBS had just dead. He had the Matt Lauer door lock. That goes off your TV. That's not important. Because they're allies, so they can go rape motherfuckers. It's okay. They're allies. They're good people. They donate to Planned Parenthood. So we're going to move on to conspiracy theories. We had a whole lot, and this article goes, Rachel Maddow got a whole lot of mileage out of a story about the White House deceptively editing footage from Trump's joint presser with Putin. This one went all this week. Her tweet, White House edits video to remove questions about whether Putin wanted Trump to win. Casey Hunt, note the White House is behaving like the Kremlin and releasing doctored versions of real events. The entire world, I mean, Katie Turr went crazy over this. Uh, it was just gnashing of teeth. And then they found out they were wrong. That's a whole fucking, you know, 36, 48 hours later. And per usual, 19,000 misinformation retweets. Katie Tour got another 19. Um, almost everybody on NBC retweeted it, so they got 19, 20,000. And Matt O'Blog puts out, we've updated the text on our A-Block video clip from last night because it's a lie. Total fucking lie. I mean, we could go back to when the State Department under Obama literally did it. And reporters for the first time actually, you know, they didn't care that Fox News guy got phone tapped and jailed and all that shit. They didn't give a fuck about that. They did care about that. And they made us think about it for like uh, two hours. It actually was on the nightly news. And then it went away. Because same team and all. But, yeah. The one that won't let it go, and you could guess, is Brian Seltzer. Hi, Brian. Speaking of corrections, will you be correcting yourself and Maddow now that the Washington Post has debunked this? Truth and accuracy do matter, after all. Brian Seltzer. More than a week later, the White House is still not, he's still doubling down. Red States nails it. Brian will watch Fox News all day long looking for even the most minute discrepancies in reporting, but then quotes Rachel Maddow at will, doesn't correct her, and doesn't correct himself. Great work there, reliable sources. And he's right. He's right. That's how they are. But, you know, I I got an argument with my daughter a year or so, and she starts, you're gaslighting me. And... You know, at the time, I didn't even know what the fuck that meant. It's the new liberal fucking cause du jour. But there's an article right now by Mulling Hemingway, and I, I want to read it because it sums up this whole Russia conspiracy, we hate Trump bullshit. Media gaslighting can't hide the fact Trump campaign was spied on because we now know that's true. On Saturday night, heavily redacted copies of FBI application wiretap Trump's campaign affiliate Carter Page were released. The portion of the 412-page document that was not redacted support the claims of Senator Chuck Grassley, Lindsey Graham, and Nunes. The senators and representatives have issued reports alleging the FBI used an unverified Clinton campaign document to secure wiretaps against an American citizen, that the application for the wiretap used circular reporting and lacked verification for essential claims, and they made material false claims related to the source credible. And we've already covered this. 
President Trump tweeted triumphantly, blah, blah, blah. After a year of continuous and alarming revelations, the media are still more interested in proving Trump campaign treasonously colluded with Russia than wrestling with the fact that the FBI spied on a presidential campaign and used dubious partisan political research to justify their surveillance. The media reaction to both the redacted Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act wiretap application and Trump's tweets was pure gaslighting. The claim the FISA application hurt the critics' case. It wasn't that they reported the news that critics of FISA application felt vindicated, while defenders of the wiretap application also felt vindicated. They wrote as partisans, New York Times, without evidence. Trump claims vindication released a Carter Page document. Another one. How a Trump decision revealed GOP memo shaky foundation. The latter headline was inferring Inference to the House Intelligence Report, the accompanying articles completely ignored the criminal referral from Graham and Grassley, but buttressed the HPSCI allegations. USDA Today went with President Trump allies to dismiss revelations and new court document ties to Russian probe. The Washington Post went on a day-long tantrum. See, for example, Carter Page FISA warrants underscore the difficulty in disproving presidential falsehoods. The Carter Page wire dispute isn't flare fight. An error-ridden tangent fact check headlined over four days false claims Trump dominated Twitter feed. That's how they do it. They bury it with opinion pieces and the root and shit. Other gaslighting. Politico. Trump policy shops filter facts to fit his message. Obama would never have done that. Somebody tweets. If you like your doctor, you can keep it. CNN, what happened the last time a president chose America's enemies over his friends? Hail Razor, answer. He attended a Havana baseball game, traded away the Taliban dream team, and got hostages freed with a pallet of cash. Other people, now do Iran and Obama, can, can you do that? But the lead line, the exact statement, Trump was elected by a minority of American electorate with help from the vagaries of the electoral college system and from considering Russian interference. They're still going with that. You, I got a hate tweet coming up where they're now peddling a new map. It's not based on who won the state, which shows all red and a little blue on the coast. It's density. Because once again, they don't believe you in Wyoming, me in Tennessee. We don't have the right to vote. There's not enough people living in these shitty-ass states. Remember, you can't say that Haiti's a shithole, but you can say the South's a shithole. You can say that all day long, twice on Tuesday. And then after this... Article goes out. CNN brings on this lady who voted for Trump, but it's upset. And we covered this in the show, but I didn't have a soundbite. Here she is as they prod her about how bad Trump is, how stupid she was because she voted, because a relative got fucking deported. Well, the relative got a fucking DUI. She broke the law. But once again, if you're a Latino that we want to, you know, we want your vote... You can motherfucking kill people. We don't give a fuck. We want your vote. 
One of President Trump's top campaign promises, the one many of his voters counted on the most, was to crack down on illegal immigration. But now, as that crackdown is taking effect, some Trump voters are having second thoughts. Shirley, I have to ask you, because I understand you voted for President Trump in 2016, but uh, is it true that you have some regrets about the decision? Talk to me about your regret. Oh, you bet I do. I feel like I've betrayed my daughter-in-law, Letty. Uh, he promised to get rid of the criminals, Trump did, the gang members. I was all for that. Letty's not a criminal. She's not a gang mem member. She doesn't go around murdering people. She's like us, an everyday working person. And that's the reason I voted for him. But they're going after the hardworking Hispanic people. Yeah. Well, listen, Shirley, all along, um, you know, there was some concern about the way the president was framing uh, the immigrant uh, situation. Um, listen, there are criminals in, in all facets of American society, and usually people who are immigrants, especially illegal immigrants, they commit less crime than U.S. citizens. Do you understand that now? Do you think the, the average Trump voter understands that? I don't think they do. I think they've been, I think there's been so much propaganda from the White House, put out on the Hispanics and that. They think it's all Hispanics. It's not Hispanics. There's people fleeing their countries because of murderers and rapists. And you know, Letty, you came to the U.S. illegally uh, almost 20 years ago, two decades ago, but you have been married to an American. Your daughter is an American citizen. You made one mistake six years ago. You were arrested for a misdemeanor charge of driving while intoxicated. Is, is that why you were deported? Shirley, do you still support uh, this president? Would you vote for him again? Absolutely not. No way. What do you want to say to him and say, or, or to his supporters? They need to have an open mind and think if this happened to one of their family members, what it would be to go through what we're going through. When AP put the story out, uh, you know, it went to Twitter and everything, and you get so many haters, you know, that are just, it's unbelievable. It don't matter what you say, it don't matter what you do. If, if there's so, so many hardcore Trump followers, you know what, I had one guy tell, tell me on Twitter, you know what, you and your daughter should go to jail for harboring a criminal. It's, another guy said, you know what, all nine million of them need to be sent back. I mean, there's just so many racist bigots out there that they don't, they don't even want to listen. All they want is an all white America and, you know, it's crazy. You can't, you can't fight it. You can't beat it. This world is so freaking cut in half and divided right now because of President Trump. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. I mean, think about any time during Obama's presidency. Can you remember a network bringing somebody on and saying, I regret voting for Barack Obama? How about African-Americans? You could have brought on one a week that were critical of him. He didn't do enough for African-Americans. He didn't. Trump goes into office and black unemployment plummets. And there's all sorts of stuff you actually search out there on Twitter, FaceTube, YouTube. Some serious African-Americans going, yeah, I like Trump. My life's better. My life's a lot better. But they never strolled anybody on TV. They will find anybody to bring on, whether it's true or not. We'll just bring random people on to say, I'm so regretful I voted for Trump because Trump is Satan. And that's news nowadays on CNN. Then there's the VFW. It boiled over again 
I, before I go into this, there's a huge op-ed in WAPO, of course, by Martha Raddatz, who's somehow deemed to be a military reporter because she spent some time in the wars overseas. And so she wrote this big condemning thing, basically lumping herself into you know, the same breath of American heroes in uniform. I'm going to read some of it. But I just want you to remember her conduct on election night. I want to bring this back to Martha Raddatz. Of course, you questioned Donald Trump closely on this during the debates. But right now, we have American troops on battlefields in Afghanistan and Iraq. Fewer than before, but still there. Yes, we do. And uh, Donald Trump, I questioned about what he would do in Syria, uh, his understanding of military policy and civilian military divide. Uh, I don't know that he really has a plan for what he's going to do there. He has General Mike Flynn. General Mike Flynn has been with him. He has, he'll, he'll quickly tell you, he has 200 admirals and generals backing him. I think Mike Flynn has been a huge influence on him. I was also looking back and, and at an interview Tim Kaine gave. Tim Kaine has a son in the Marine Corps. He was asked by John Dickerson, so if Donald Trump is democratically elected and your son is serving as a Marine, you wouldn't trust his life under that commander-in-chief. And Kane said, I wouldn't. That's a pretty extraordinary thing to say. Uh, if you have a son in the Marine Corps and that you don't trust the commander-in-chief. The people in the military defend the Constitution. Let's That's go back and look at where we are right now. Let's take one more look at these key states as the votes continue to trickle in again. Start with New Yeah, that's crying. I don't care what you say. Her voice cracked up. Whatever, Brian Seltzer tried to defend her because people were dogging her and, and replying to this tripe, which I nailed numerous times. This is what's wrong with the media in a nutshell. Because her and the Katie Tours, I think they're firefighters. Because you serve overseas, reporting wars doesn't make you a hero. Do it with an IBA on, a Kevlar, humping all night, getting no sleep, drinking shitty fucking water. You do that, you come back and talk to me. But here's her article. I reported alongside soldiers in foxholes. The president can't take that away. Oh, oh, really? Like so many of my colleagues, I've covered this nation's wars for decades, working side by side with our soldiers. Side by side. Okay, sailors, marines, and airmen. I've shared foxholes and flight decks with these brave Americans, and I felt our mutual respect for the responsibility to each of us holds in our chosen professions. No... Infantry grunt respects a reporter. I'm sorry. When you come, we clam up. So shut the fuck up. You report the liberal side of war. You never report the truth. So shut up. It's been an honor covering them and the families that support them. I'm proud that I could tell their stories. It's the job of the media to rigorously cover the military and to ask hard questions. But I could never have told these stories if the military did not open his doors to me. Like we didn't have a choice, dumbass. If we didn't, you'd be on TV. The military is lockstep. The Russians. They're fucking Nazis. I think of a combat mission, blah, 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 blah. There'd be no ABC News stories, no book, no National Geographic on the battlefield. I'm proud to gain hard-won respect to so many of those I've met over the years. But as I listen to the vitriol aimed at the press by our president, I worry that those days of mutual respect would disappear for the next generation of reporters. We in the press are sadly getting used to listening to some Americans booing, threatening, and belittling the media at the behest of President Trump. But Trump's rally before hundreds of veterans, blah, 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 blah. Have those veterans who 
booed and taunted the media in response to Trump's cue, forgotten that some members of the press corps are combat veterans? Have they forgotten they are members of the press who continue to cover the military after suffering life-altering injuries while at the side of our courageous service members? Have they forgotten that since the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq began, hundreds of journalists have given their lives? Amen, God. And when the president boasts that he will fix the Department of Veteran Affairs after his supporters forgotten the attention the press has drawn to those very issues? Mm-mm. No, I don't, Martha Raddatz, because Obama didn't do shit and you guys didn't care. Under Bush, you camped out at Walter Reed. The conditions were deplorable. It was Bush's fault. Under Obama... Nobody ever said, it's Obama's fault, it takes you fucking two years to get a goddamn disability packet back. Nobody ever did that. I'm not reading anymore. She just goes on, this will be a shame to our democracy. Oh, the children. Donald Trump Jr., you're crying on live TV on election night. Probably has nothing to do with extreme bias exhibited daily by the liberal media. But in case it did, why the hell would any rational person trust the media these days? Give me a break. She's too far left. This is her on this week, this weekend, once again showing it's not about the troops. It's not about freedom of speech. It's about the Democratic National Committee. And so there's this discomfort, but... They will vote for him, they're saying it as of today, because of conservative judges, tax cuts, lower regulation, and that to them is what he's doing, is why they're still on his side. And, and then how do they, how do you counter that? And, and I've seen that on the road. Mary and I have talked about this too. I've seen that on the road as well. I don't care about Russia. I don't care about, you know, right. the tweets. I, he, he, he's a means to an end. Well, the big unknown, I think, is whether the democratic and liberal energy in the country right now will actually translate into electoral victories. And we are seeing people more engaged in their communities, at PTA meetings, even, I would say, in primary contests. I mean, our primary contest in New York uh, with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that really suggests a level of participation in um, you know races where many voters didn't participate before. And so if that carries over, if you have voters who vote um, who don't generally vote in primary elections, but do show up, um, you know, for presidential elections, will we see them vote in the in the midterms? But but, think- but her race, and and you saw yeah. me try to get to that with, <laughs> sure. with Congressman Lujan <laughs> uh, about is is she and others like her taking the party too far to the left? You know, I think that it's definitely true that you have to know your your district. So every district is different across the country. I mean, what plays in New York may not play um, in Alabama. But I actually think that Democrats um, have an opportunity to define themselves. Yeah, let's root for a recession. She wasn't the only one on this scheme. Barbara Starr from CNN wrote an op-ed. It was carried all over the fucking place. WAPO reprinted it. Oh, you're terrible. Despite Trump's tendency to talk about the military as his and my generals, nothing can be further than the truth. The military is and must stay apolitical. It's not Trump's, but yet you want it to be political. You want it to be liberal, right? It's just a joke. This once again, if they're not bashing the soldiers that were present, the veterans, not soldiers because they're mostly retirees, for booing the media. They're saying Trump's breaking the something, doing something wrong. No, he's not. Eight years. 
None of you motherfuckers cared when Obama wouldn't do interviews with Fox News and bashed Fox News from the bully pulpit. You had no problem with it. You believed it was alt-right. For eight years, you didn't care that Obama brought Huffington Post in, Arianna Huffington's private website that turned into a news source because the President of the United States made it a news source. Nothing on that website could be considered journalism. It's a step off a Media Matters platform. I mean, that's what it is. So, I I just laugh at these people. I didn't see you in Afghanistan, Martha Raddatz. I saw a fucking, um, some guy from CNN. He was there. A female reporter that was really nice. I gave her a pair of gloves. She was freezing. I had 100 disposable gloves that I bought because I didn't, you know, gardening gloves just to keep my hands warm, be able to pull the trigger. And I gave her a pair of those. She was friendly. They did a good news report. But, you know, Martha Raddatz talking about the wars. Everything you did was political about the wars and how they're not going the right way and blah, blah, blah. And, and your angst over Abu Ghraib. And, you know, shut up. Shut up. I don't care how much you and Katie Tour think. You're not heroes. You're not firefighters. You don't run to shit. You're political operatives with the press pass. That's all you are. Then our big, big blow up, and I'm going to just play a soundbite. This was huge this week. The bottom line is this is a president who is so sensitive to criticism that he can only live within his own echo chamber. And this, of course, comes as he continues to attack the press, as the White House is barring reporters from events, as he was telling people just yesterday, don't listen to or believe uh, what you hear in the news. So it's also part of this broader authoritarian view that he has of the media, where he is now normalizing this uh, the, the attacks that are being made on the freedom of the press. And I grew up hearing about in communism countries people were only allowed to hear news from the government that he got arrested or worse if you were quite even listening to news from anywhere else doesn't president trump remember growing up hearing about countries where people were denied that kind of freedom so how could he order that a reporter from a major cable channel be just disinvited to today's press available in the rose garden and how can he allow a memo to be sent out saying that only one news channel should be running on air force one and how can he be continually saying that only that cable channel is telling the truth didn't thomas jefferson say were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government i should not hesitate for a moment to prefer the latter every man should receive those papers and be capable of reading them freedom of the press doesn't it bother even his supporters especially trump supporters that this president is so afraid of press freedom of criticism that he's trying to smother it should the american citizens out there be able to listen and decide what's the truth for themselves but first i want to go quickly to the white house where in an unprecedented move cnn correspondent caitlin collins was actually banned from a late afternoon press event in the rose garden because the white house simply didn't like the questions she asked the president earlier in the day. Tell us precisely what happened, because it's very, very worrisome. 
Yeah, that's right, Wolf. So I was blocked from attending an open press event here at the White House because the White House did not like the questions I posed to President Trump earlier in the day during an event in the Oval Office with the President of the European Commission. Because of that, the White House blocked me from going to an open press event here at the White House that all reporters are allowed to go because they did not like the questions that I asked President Trump about the news of the day, Wolf. It's truly shocking. Uh, you know, it's it's really unheard of. I've never heard of it. This is an open event. You're in a Accredited White House correspondent. Earlier in the day, you did precisely what you were supposed to do, representing the five television uh, networks. It's it's truly shocking to hear that. I'm obviously pretty angry about it, but uh, you're a member of the United States Senate. Wolf, I am shocked and angry, deeply offended, not only as a United States senator, but as a citizen of the United States, by this kind of very chilling intimidation and punishment of a reporter simply for asking a legitimate question. Uh, I am really very deeply offended. Yeah, I mean, it's something you would expect to see in some totalitarian regime. And I've traveled with presidents around the world at photo opportunities uh, uh, that uh, the, the, the host government wasn't happy that White House correspondents were shouting questions. They weren't happy about that. They would come to us before a briefing, uh, before a photo opportunity, say no questions allowed. And we would always say the same thing. Uh, they don't have to answer the questions, but our job is to represent the American news media and ask those questions. You don't like it, you don't have to answer the questions. This is an attack on the free press, and it's a very serious issue that they have to fix. Hey, Terry, let's go back to that Rose Garden event quickly. Uh, the White House is under fire for banning one of our colleagues from CNN from that event because they didn't like the questions that she had asked earlier in the day. That's right. Caitlin Collins, who has been representing the pool yesterday, that's the group of television networks. We select one every day to go in and represent us all uh, at the event with Jean-Claude Juncker, hollered a few questions about that Michael Cohen tape. Uh, the president and his staff apparently perturbed. She was told by Press Secretary Sarah Sanders and new White House Communications Director Bill Schein she would not be allowed into the Rose Garden. That is, that is a very rare move to select someone because you don't like what they're saying and ban them. And I must say there's been unanimous objection from across the press. The White House Correspondents Association and the president's favorite network, Fox News, its president and anchors like Brett Baer have called for the right of full access for a free and unfettered press. So this is uh, an act of peak by the White House. Uh, that uh, has been objected to right across the board by the press. Yeah, Terry, this has really banded the press corps together uh, because this is unprecedented, George, as you know. This reporter did nothing wrong. This was her job. This is our job to represent all of the journalists at the White House when we go into these pool sprays. These questions were about the news of day. Pretty straightforward. Tapes, the rush tape. And this is just not what you do in a country that values the First Amendment. It's pretty shocking. Yeah, pretty surprising. Also, an escalation in the attacks on the press. I want to bring in our chief global affairs anchor, Martha Raddatz, on that as well. And Martha, this a couple of days after I mean, you wrote a powerful piece in the Washington Post, after the president went to the Veterans of Foreign Wars and, and, and convention kind of goaded the crowd with attacks on the press. Uh, he sure did, George. It is relentless, and he does not care who the crowd is. Those veterans take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. So it was very disturbing to watch some of the veterans boo the press when the president told them not to believe the press. Reporters have been at the side of the military in war, with many of them injured or killed. This can have a profound effect on how some Americans view the media, no matter whether they cover politics. Nobody cared when Obama banned people. Nobody gave a fuck. It was all good to go. Good for him. 
I'd say he bans all CNN, especially that little cock trap fucking Acosta. I would ban that guy. I'd pull his press pass. And when they do it, they should just go back to, well, the West Wing did it, and you guys thought it was cool. TV show did it all the time for much less than what CNN does every week. To other news, because um, I, I want to move it along, uh, here's why I hate our country sometimes. On the last show, did we not talk about a Christian soccer player who helped them win? Well, guess what? She's been dismissed. The gay mafia lost their fucking minds and they pressured U.S. women's soccer and they dismissed her from the team. And then they apologized. No shit. That that fucking happened. In the Kavanaugh front, New York Times targets Kavanaugh's wife looking for abortion, gun, gay, federalist emails. Say, there's actually... To make a CERN under the Maryland Public Information Act, the New York Times request to view certain email correspondence of Ashley Kavanaugh during her tenure as town manager in Chevy Chase, Section 5. Specifically, we request digital copies of any emails to or from Mrs. Kavanaugh that contain any of the keywords or terms listed below. Judge, Brett, Husband, Supreme Court, SCOTUS, Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Democrat, Republican, GOP, basically everything. Yeah, everything. So they're going after his wife. New York Times is. Yeah. That that's fucking fantastic. We have another story later that they're going after golf partners. I can't remember which news agency is, but nobody gave a fuck who Obama played with. It was cool. But now they want to know who Trump's playing with so they can do fucking doxing on them. To the Vox poll, uh David Roberts. It's gotten worse. It's eighty two eighteen with like fifty two thousand votes. All right. But then somebody else fucking did one about another one about is Vox good for America and they decreased to four. But seeing it, some fucking Wahoo from Canada wanted to do it again. Do what? No, I'm sorry, not Canada, but Australia. Do do white people have a positive or negative impact on Australia? And it was at seventy thirty in Australia, and he tore that fucker down. So. here, here's a note to fucking moon bat. Stop with your white people or evil polls. It doesn't work. Because once again, Tony Newt Reed theory on everything, just like gay marriage when it went to the polls, people when the polls shit in with anonymity tell the truth. What we see on the TV is PC pressure. I don't want to get doxxed. I don't want CNN to out me. I, I don't want to turn into fucking the goddamn... Joe the plumber and get raped in public opinion because I I said something because you guys are so good at that I mean you just ruin people's lives for not agreeing with you so you get them in a poll or you get them in a voting booth and they vote a la Trump a la 30 fucking 7 states ban gay marriage I mean it doesn't work for you yes in conversations, oh, I, I think white people have done a lot of negative impact on uh, indigenous peoples. We're going to say that at a party. We don't want to get kicked out, lose our jobs. You're fucking idiots. So we're going to go once again with uh, Extinction first as we go for our music break today. 
And then we'll come into Tweets of the Day. Every day, we go about our routines. Work, home, family. Work, home, family. Because they're going to say it's in my head. It is just in your head. Please, I think these dreams are the future. What if something bad is coming? You see that? You kidding? Of course I can. What is that? It's an invasion. If we stay here, we die. What's happening out there has been headed our way for a very long time. I know what's going to happen. I need you to trust me. You'll be safe. They're coming. In your nightmares. Did you see them kill us? at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed You got a total head fuck at the end, man. You, you're, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it, w- it was not how this ends. That was horrible. 
this is a really good movie, so give it a go. Extinction on Netflix. We start with a tweet from Sager and Jetty. I don't think that's how he says his name, but what the fuck. Per this excellence GQ story on Otto Wambier, after Trump learned of his condition, he ordered an American plane to land in Papangyang without asking for North Korean permission to get Otto out. Didn't make the news, did it? Hmm. Liberals have been championing sanctuary cities for some time now, but with recent news about some items progressive-run cities have been banning, Adam Baldwin came up with sanctuary city of his own. He shows a restaurant with a uh, straw, silverware, napkin dispenser, and his tweet was, Sanctuary City. And I make that our tweet of the day, because on top of it... um. Katie Pavlich goes Moan Labe and she's got a cup full of straws drinking out of one of the straws. And I just think it's so mock worthy. There, there's some serious stuff involved in that about what you can or cannot do in California. Um, the can, the can do's are pretty fucking evil, like suction catheter abortions, but you can't use a straw. And we do have a hate tweet coming up with, uh, doggone uh, AR-15 alliance with straws, but I I wanted to let Adam Baldwin have it today. Sanctuary City now is straw dispensers, and isn't that sad? Hate Tweet of the Day! To our hate tweets, The Hill. Soccer ball Putin gave Trump contains chip that can transmit data to cell phones. Clickbait alert! Clickbait, clickbait, clickbait! Oh my god. It's an Adidas soccer ball. It transmits shit to... Dina's AG soccer ball, similar to one Putin presented to Trump during a joint press conference last week, contains a small chip that can send content to mobile devices. Users can hold their phones close to the ball to access videos and competitions, according to Bloomberg. Not data. Somebody says, if you read beyond the spy thriller retweet, you learn that the chip is standard issue in Adidas 2018 FIFA World Cup balls, and all it does is link you to a World Cup promotion on Adidas' website if you hold your smartphone up to it. Nevertheless, the ball underwent a standard security screening, as do all gifts to the president. Still, the tweet got fucking activist Alyssa Milano's attention. Mmm, soccer ball Putin gave Trump contains transmitter chip. Oh my god! Eric Spencer, oh my god, are you telling me Trump might be able to use his phone to access different functionalities like exclusive information about the product, Adidas football content, special competitions and challenges as outlined on the Adidas website? Amy Page, calm down Alyssa, you've got to stop reading headlines while ignoring articles. And that's what they do! But Tess sums it up, this is what these people are! Right in front of the entire world, and Trump wants to know what kind of lawyer would tape him. He screamed endlessly and erroneously about Obama wiretapping Trump Tower, but Putin personally handed him a bug soccer ball! David Martosco shows it. It's, that's not the only one. AP Photox sees Pompeo has Diet Coke, not water, for his Senate briefing. Trump is seldom outside arm's reach of a Diet Coke. Drinking Diet Coke from a plastic straw is a tacky look for a Secretary of State. 
Rosie, is Pompeo being paid by Diet Coke? That was a whole thing. CNN ran an article on Trump politely asked for a Coke. And they made a thing out of it because he only drinks Diet Coke. That's, that's like the two scoops of ice cream. It's two scoops of ice cream. They, they go with whatever. They're so desperate because they know the only people watching, reading, paying attention to their tripe are Uber resistance members who are hung on this shit. I mean, they need this. Molly Jong Fast shows the, the the one about Pompeo. This whole administration is sponsored by Diet Coke and lying. See, they need this. They live for this, and for them to still have ratings, they got to come up with the next clickbait. And so they just make shit that. Oh my God! If you even commented about what Obama may drank, ate, you were racist. I remember people getting drugged through the coals. He used to have 10 almonds a night. He's so structured. And people would say, what a fucking goo. Why doesn't he have some fucking brownies or something? You're a racist. Brownies are black. That was our world for eight years. And then we got the fallout from our Hate Tweet Soundbite last podcast, which was fucking the female McCain going off about socialism. Soledad O'Brien, she doesn't like that, all right? Kind of stunned by this thread that Miss O'Brien thinks the tweet makes her look good, that so many media figures are going after Mrs. McCain because she passionately opposed the evil of socialism. My goodness. Soledad's tweet. Hi, Megan. I have a busy life, four kids, run a small business, anchor some TV shows, been an award-winning journalist for a minute. Not to brag, but I am. I add to it. Watch your video. You're having a full-fledged freakout. It undermined your argument. You should work on that. That's what she says. A lady who's not on TV says this. Megan McCain. Get a life, Soledad. I'm passionate and don't want my grandkids growing up in a socialist nation. Soledad O'Brien's original one. Full freakout. And Mo Momo came on. McCain actually had an argument rather than address with the coherent response. O'Brien decided to be snotty about the manner in which it was delivered. Pretty sure no one needs to take advice on how to be persuasive from Soledad O'Brien. But Shannon Watts? No, 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 no. She saw, not only am I a gun fruit loop, I'm the, pe- I'm the people that have made schools suspend kids for Pop-Tart pistols. I can go intersectionality on this. And her tweet. As a white person who was born on third base, I thought third base was, you touched a vagina. But I could be totally wrong on this. It's pretty infuriating for me when even more privileged white people like Meghan McCain don't acknowledge that they that they were born three inches from home plate. So she's not supposed to speak about socialism because her dad was rich or something? I thought you guys liked Meghan McCain. Because she hates Trump. But okay. People went off on this. It must be torture to have to li- try to live your life while being upset at your own skin color and your parents' work ethic. So Shannon, are you insinuating that all white people are born on third base and enjoy the privilege? Or are you generalizing and stereotyping? Another, as a white person who was not born on third base, I would appreciate it if you get your hands out of my pocket. Thank you. 
I like that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> then Jared Yates Sexton, the Fruit Loop that we've done a lot of stuff on. He goes on a tweet screen. If you're like me, the last three years of Trump era have been enraging and at times debilitating. Debilitating, really. This crisis is massive and the consequences far-reaching. We have to fight it, but we're not going to make it if we don't take care of ourselves. If you're suffering, you're not weak. You need to take a break. Not giving up. It's not waving a white flag. It's taking care of yourself and preparing for future battles. Listen to your body and listen to your head. Make comfort where you can find it. Rest while you can. You knew the tweets weren't good. The power of mass hysteria and self-imposed anxiety through obsessive confirmation bias and feedback loop validation. Holy hell, dude. You're not living in a POW camp. Pull yourself together. But they think they are. They think they are. They are so stuck on the end of days that they... They, they're, they're falling apart. As I said, they would. They, they couldn't keep this pace up for fucking four years. But they're trying. You know, CNN is for sure. Then there's this one. Democrats love to terrify people into voting for them. They can't really run on any policy other than raising our taxes and regulating corporations to the point of going out of business. So instead, they try to try the whole, the GOP is evil, evil. They will purge you. Hillary Clinton is especially guilty of this, among other things. And while recently attending a showing of Hello Dolly, she apparently spoke to the staff. First tweet from The Hill once again, who's on Hill Watch. They just love Hillary. Hillary Clinton goes to, gets a standing ovation arriving at Broadway production of Hello Dolly. Bette Midler heard what she said, went all caps, and lost her mind. Hillary Clinton to... Add Hillary Clinton to Hello Dolly cast. Vote. Tell your friends to tell their families and friends in every state to register and make sure they have not been purged from the rolls where they get there to cast their ballot. We're not sure what's scarier, the fact that Hillary is telling people they might be purged from the voter roll or that Bet was so excited that Hillary terrified the cast of the show that she went cap crazy. People tweeted back to her, Calm down, Bet. Hillary lost for a reason. People did vote, Hillary. It just wasn't for you. It will never be for you. Stephen Miller. At last she's back at home comfortably with her base and not some shithole city full of knuckle-dragging drunks like Milwaukee. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Then Dana Loesch was on Fox. She said, we have the right to defend ourselves, not just as home, not just at home, but also when we're out and about. James 1, Jennings the third. It's J-I-M-I-S-E-A-D-A-W-G, some kind of wannabe rapper. Call the cops on her when she's out and about. She's armed and looking to hurt people that disagree with her. Dana Loach plus the NRA equals shit. Chris Loach, her, you know, her husband. This is actually an illegal activity you're advocating. It's called swatting, and it gets people skilled. killed. You are advocating for violence. Stop. This person should be banned from Twitter, and this tweet stricken. And it wasn't. So that was their angle. Because she said, out and about. That's why we have concealed carries, Moonbats. That's that's why we have them. There's a reason we have them. I don't always need my gun at the house. I may need it in public. Because your Antifa Black Lives Matter riots go fucking crazy sometimes. And I happen to be pale complexion. 
I could be wearing a Hillary is goddess shirt and still get beat the fuck up. Shown on the show. Black reporter, pro Hillary. You got the fuck beat out of an Antifa because they thought he was a Trumper. It's like a fucking shark feeding frenzy. You just don't know. Eve Pearson wrote some article. I wrote about owning the libs Rolling Stone, how it went from a meme to ruling Republican ideology and the haunting emptiness of it all. Pricer uses a source such as Twitter personalities to staunch Never Trump, Rick Wilson, and David Frum. David Frum, an editor of The Atlantic, a former George W. Bush speaker writer, tells Rolling Stone, when people are losing politically, they retreat from politics and take refuge in cultural criticism. Even though Republicans control two-thirds of the state houses, the executive and the legislative branches, they still feel this underdogging impulse to score cultural war points. People on the left want to talk about Medicare for all and universal basic income and federal job guarantees, Frum says. They have a series of things they want to do with the state and big ideas that they want the public to think about. Conservatism really doesn't have those things right now. Why did I put this in hate tweets? It goes on for a long time. But the point is, folks, why is the only conservatives you could talk to are ones that hate Trump or really liberals? That's what our media puts out. Steve Schmidt was a liberal all along. That's why he worked for McCain. McCain was one step from liberal. He was never really a staunch conservative. He didn't believe in fucking lowering taxes and shit like that. He didn't believe in any of that. Then there's this boom bat, Super Mario, Dude Slater is his handle. On my way to HLLS 2018 to greet the nice conservative teenagers. He's got a bat with barbed wire on it. And he wanted to go attack the kids at a fucking convention. They did delete the tweet, but it stayed on there a really long time because somehow that's healthy conversation, Jack says. Then James Wood comes out. This week, my friend Avner became an American citizen. He's very patriotic and proud. He asked for my help with history and civics and aced his exam. He has been humbled by the welcome of our friends. Our friends have given him. I'm happy to say, welcome, my fellow American. You know the left didn't like this nice to hear all those thanks and congratulations from you and your followers but he moves into their neighborhood they'll ignore him call the cops when he has friends over give him side eye when he speaks another language call ice because he's different assumes he votes dem another one did he seek asylum here come from a dangerous place yeah that's that's how they ran with that mm-hmm. it's wow and then there's the, the the fucking map I was talking about. Leftists can't deal with the fact that Hillary Clinton lost fair and square, no matter how much she and the DNC cheated, poor Bernie, in trying to pretend the popular vote matters at all. Seems to- Topher Spiro couldn't deal with the map the New York Times shared that showed how badly Trump whomped Hillary, so he shared this map that focuses on population density within the small number of counties she did win. Because you know if there are a bunch of people in one county, that county doesn't matter or something. If there aren't a bunch of people in a county, they don't matter. Topher Spiro. This is so much better than New York Times map making the rounds. Instead of filling an entire precinct with blue or red, it uses dots to represent each vote, accounting for population density. 
This one is also so much better. It colors entire areas, but uses opacity to show population density. The New York Times could have displayed precinct level data using the second map. John Paduritz. New York Times map makes me feel bad. This map makes me feel good. But the tweets sum it up. Yep, much of the red is really just all white. But we already knew that about the GOP. Buy radio bandwidth and red pockets of purple states and flood the area with quality counter-programming, licensed podcasts, critical thinking primers that help listeners recover from their steady media diets of lies from Fox, Sinclair, Limbaugh, etc. Maybe it'll save the country. This is important. We need progressive radio networks across the country and especially in the Deep South where red state policies are killing people and dragging the nation backwards. Another one. Precisely. We are purple. The GOP doesn't dominate the country. They just claim to and then cheat, lie, and steal, collude with Russian operatives to retain power. Scoundrels, thank you for this map. Another one. We drove through the whole of Washington State last week and huge swatches of red held nearly zero people. Landmass says nothing in this case. I had to cover it. It's like the election was almost 20 months ago. 20 months ago. And they're still trying to make something that shows... What? Hillary didn't lose? And all you people do is talk about the founding fathers. It's all you speak about. The founding fathers. They wrote this based on land. Remember, in the beginning, only people with land could fucking vote. We changed that to everybody can vote. But we all get equal representation, even if we live in the evil South, believe in God. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's amazing. You know, I think the byproduct of this election really has been showing normals who don't pay attention to politics how the left really thinks, how much they hate you. They hate how you feel, what you believe in, your family structure. They hate the South. And they believe only New York, Washington, State, you know, <clears throat> Seattle, sorry, Portland, Los Angeles, Boston. Those are the only people that have a say. I mean, that's what they believe. They do the voting. You just get back to your fucking menial job. And work, because you don't deserve a vote. You're a white person in a red state. And the funny thing about the South is, you go to Atlanta, it's mostly African American. So those people don't get a vote either, because that's pretty racist. I mean, you're saying IDs are racist, but your whole voting scheme makes sure that they have no representation. I had a soundbite of Van Jones getting beat up by the hate the, the hate crew on The View, but I'm not going to play it, and we're going to go into hypocrisy.
Hypocrisy! If you look at what happened last week in that meeting, you don't have to go back, you don't have to look very hard to see a direct parallel to what the president is trying to do now. Look at what Vladimir Putin proposed in that meeting. He proposed using the arms of government to retaliate against critics of him, to retaliate against Bill Browder and Mike McFaul. Right. The, the kind of thing you expect to see from Vladimir Putin, the kind of thing you see from Erdogan in, in Turkey, the kind of thing you never expect to see in liberal democracies, that's what the president is trying to do here. So this idea of punishing your enemies or those critical of you, well, here's the thing. It's straight from the playbook of those the president admires, including strongmen, like the Turkish president, Erdogan. So here's what he's doing, or wants to do, silencing critics. That's right. Even an effort, though, to distract everyone is worth reporting because it's what dictators and wannabe strongmen do. They try to silence critics. I'm not comfortable with vindictiveness mm -hmm. because to me that's very dictator. Well, that's his yeah. middle name. And this threat sounds more like he leads Turkey or the Philippines, uh, not like he leads the United States. It is a big night here. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We have one of the Michael Cohen tapes, the secret recording of President Trump back in 20 scene made by Cohen in which he and then candidate Trump discuss arrangements surrounding a payment to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal that was made by a third party, David Picker, as head of the National Enquirer. This all happened in the months before the election. Now, this had a great quality recording, and that will be relevant to its analysis. So, first I want to play you the entire recording, not all of which is relevant to the payment. So listen for yourself. Let me know what's happening, okay? Oh. Oh. Maybe because of this it would be better if you didn't go. You know, maybe because of this, for that one, I think what we should do is get rid of this because it's so false what they're saying. It's such bullshit. Um, I think I think this goes away quickly. I think what I think it's probably better do the Charleston thing just this time. Uh, yeah, in two weeks it's fine. I think right now it's it's better. You know? Okay, honey, you take care of yourself. Thanks, Pam. Yep, I'm proud of you a lot. What's up, Great poll, by the way. Yeah. Seen it. Great poll. Make it breakfast. Big time. And you guys are good guys. Yeah. Oh, Pastor Scott? No, no, Pastor Scott. What's, what's happening? Oh, no. no he's, can we use him anymore? Oh, yeah. hundred. No, you're talking about Mark Burns. He, we felt him well, just... I, I don't mean that. Uh, Mark Burns, can we use him? No. Richard um, Leffer, I'm sorry. Richard yeah. Leffer, just called. He just had me have a chance. He had an idea for you. Okay. Um, so we got served from the New York Times, I told you this, we were regarding to unseal the divorce papers with Ivana. Um, we're fighting it. Kasowitz uh, is going to... Never be able to do that. Never. Never. Kasowitz doesn't they'll ever be able They don't have a... Give me a conflict. They don't have a legitimate purpose. And so a woman that doesn't want to Correct. So, so yes, and it's all... It's been going for a while. For about two, three weeks now. All you have to do is delay it for... Even after that, it's not going to ever be opened. There's no... There's no purpose. Um, told you about Charleston. Um, I need to open up a company 
for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so yeah. that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and I've spoken, to, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with so what are we funding. That, uh, yes, um, and it's all the stuff. All the stuff because you know you never know where that company, you no, never know what he's no going to be. Correct. So I'm I'm all over that, and I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be listen. What financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I- Dictator's back. I just had to play that. And the second part was Cuomo's tape. He thought it was a breaker. It didn't really go anywhere. But I want to really start us off with Tucker Carlson. Because he got Brian Seltzer really upset. For more than 100 years, the Democratic Party was organized around the interests of ordinary Americans. Democrats ran campaigns on things like higher wages, better working conditions against the banks that crushed their voters with debt. A lot of Democratic ideas didn't always work. Some were silly. But their focus was always clear. American citizens were the party's priority. And that is no longer the case. To the modern Democratic Party, Americans are an afterthought. Try to find a Democrat running this year, for example, on the opioid crisis or high energy prices, the collapse of public schools, the decline of the middle class. Hard to find one. Democrats are bored by these topics. What interests them is power. In order to win and maintain power, Democrats understand they need reliable new voters, voters who will support them obediently without making difficult demands like a higher standard of living. That's why the Democratic Party suddenly supports open borders so fervently. Immigration is really the only issue that matters to them because packing the electorate is the only way they can regain control of this country. Their goal is clear, and they will do or say anything to achieve it. Here, for example, is the governor of New York likening the Trump administration to Islamic terrorists for the crime of daring to enforce federal immigration law. Watch. They are on a jihad to deport as many people as they can who they believe are not in the United States legally. Who they believe are not in the United States legally. Pretty easy to determine whether someone's here legally or not. And it wasn't that long ago that leading Democrats like Bill Clinton, for example, argued in public that our country should deport illegal immigrants. They're here illegally, after all. They're breaking our law. Now, Democrats claim that non-citizens, even illegal ones, have a right to vote in our elections. That is happening in San Francisco and in parts of the state of Maryland. By the 2020 election, it'll be happening in many other places. That's guaranteed. Now, you'd think congressional Republicans would be upset about this. Allowing illegals to occupy and run our country makes a mockery of citizenship. It's terrible for America, and it's a death sentence for the Republican Party. But nope. Republicans on the Hill seem okay with this. Here's one example. In 2014, the Obama administration changed the rules so that anybody claiming a threat from gang violence or domestic abuse could get asylum in the United States. The effect was to allow pretty much anybody to permanently enter this country provided they supplied the right story. And many, many did. Of course, that was precisely the point, to open the borders without saying so. Well, earlier this summer, Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed the Obama rule. Now House Republicans somehow, for some reason, are teaming up with Democrats to stop Sessions from doing that. Just yesterday, they tacked an amendment onto an appropriations bill in the House that would preserve the asylum rights of anybody who claims to be fleeing gang violence. 
That change would nullify any effort to secure our southern border. Mexico and Central America have plenty of gang violence. Now all 150 million people who live there can cite that fact as justification to move here legally and stay permanently. When they get here, they'll find Democrats eager to give them the right to vote. Nothing he said is wrong. Normal people see this now. I've said it a million times on this show. But because liberals live like Twitter, where once again, that's extreme, you can't say it, and their whole premise is, oh my God, we can't let that get out, because that's true, and we're voters, or we're part of the Democratic Party, and we don't want voters to think that, Brian Seltzer comes to the rescue. Can you imagine talking this way, such extreme rhetoric all the time? Tucker Carlson just now, to the modern Democratic Party, Americans are an afterthought. John Harwood, disgusting. Michael Malice, yeah, some people spew such BS on regular, on cable TV, they have no idea how they come off. White Knight, I'm pretty sure Brian will be crying to Jack about this ratio, which is way true. Another person, rhetoric all the time, have you not been listening to your side? By that I mean anti-Trump resistance, implicitly endorsed by you and your fellow travelers. Bah ha ha, kettle, glass houses, blah blah blah. Now you, my dear should take over for Jimmy Fallon at night because a joke made me laugh. Who says comedy is dead? You give us Patriots hope. Are you joking? That literally all CN does is talk in hyperbolic extreme language from the man who has suggested Trump is an authoritarian so mentally unhinged he should be removed from office. But to what Tucker said, they have. You don't hear gay anymore. You don't hear transgender. You just hear open border. We want those voters. I mean, it's brutally obvious what you're doing. Why is saying it extreme? You won't say it. I mean, your own voters don't want to abolish ICE, but you're still running with it because you believe a slice of illegal immigrants are going to go, yeah, then I won't get fucked with it and go straight in. Chris Higgs brings our next one. Asked last night on Twitter where President Donald Trump got the authority to order 12 billion welfare payments to farmers. His exact tweet. Not to be too much of a stickler for like the Constitution and appropriations and such, but where is the 12 billion for the farmer coming from? AG Conservative. Good call. How did a government program that would allow the POTUS to issue bailout worth billions without direct congressional action ever get legalized? The Commodity Credit Corporation was created in 1933 by the FDR to stabilize, support, and protect farm income and prices. Hayes was missing an action on Obama's wrote EO after EO increasing spending on the Affordable Care Act, allowing subsidies within it. Yeah. Then he did this tweet. Sure would be nice if our news networks, the only outlets that can force change in this country, would cover it with... Com- commensurate urgency, acting as if there's nothing to be done is not excusable. And this was some moon bat saying, why don't we have enough climate change? His response, Chris Hayes, almost without exception, every single time we've covered, it's been a palpable ratings killer. So the incentives are not great. But the most important thing is that guy said what I say on the show all the time. 
are news networks, the only outlets that can force change in this country. See, that's what our media has become. It's about change. It's about pushing liberal ideals. It's not about the news. Not about the news. To our media mash. First one, Matthew pushes Trump guilt as if it's fact. Wonders if tweets will lead to removal from office. The next one is Ruben being unhinged. GOP obstructing justice with Rosenstein's impeachment. It's obstructing justice to take a biased person out of the mix. Oh, really? Obstruction in plain sight. Let's play hardball. Could Donald Trump's tweeting cost him his presidency? Could Robert Mueller find that Trump's relentless threatening and bullying of possible witnesses constitutes criminal obstruction of justice? Does the fact that Trump does so so outrageously and in broad daylight constitute any kind of defense? Is this all Trump's lawyer has the guy to defend him? That he obstructs in plain sight? Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews in Washington. While Robert Mueller's team is investigating numerous incidents that occurred privately behind closed doors, there are also actions that the president has taken in plain sight that could bolster a potential obstruction case. The New York Times report is fascinating because it points out that just because you do something in public doesn't mean it's legal or make you innocent. You can do all sides of people, kill people in public. It's still murder, making a racket. It's part of Trump's weaponry. It's his way of striking fear in rivals and underlings alike. It makes clear sense that Robert Mueller's team is looking at Trump's tweets, his almost daily fusillade of misleading statements, public attacks, possible pardon offers to potential witnesses. Talk about a pattern of obstruction. Tweeting may be Trump's impulsive choice of weapon that doesn't exempt it from the law. Tonight, articles of impeachment have been introduced in the United States House of Representatives. No. Not against President Trump, against Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General. Republican members of Congress, led by Mark Meadows in North Carolina, Jim Jordan of Ohio, have filed the articles in what appears to be an obvious effort to sandbag the Mueller investigation, which Rosenstein oversees. According to records kept by the House of Representatives, the successful impeachment of a Justice Department official would be unprecedented. Here to help me understand what's at stake for Rosenstein and for the Mueller investigation, Jennifer Rubin, MSNBC contributor who writes the right turn column at the Washington Post, and Angelo Curason, president of the Progressive Research and Information Center Media Matters. Um, Jennifer, this action today was preceded by an internal fight about whether they were going to do this, and they threatened to file it as a privileged resolution, which would force a vote on it. They didn't do that, so Ryan doesn't have to deal with it, but it's still somewhat shocking and remarkable that they have filed articles of impeachment against the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. Yeah, a few weeks ago we thought it was remarkable that Jim Jordan was losing it in a hearing, um, ranting and raving, interrupting poor Rod Rosenstein, but now they've gone the extra mile. It's funny that the Republicans have been saying, oh, you put the Democrats in charge, they're going to be running impeachment hearings, they're going to be disrupting business. Um, the only ones talking about impeachment and impeachment without a scintilla of justification are, in fact, the Republicans. So, unfortunately, there's something called the speech and debate clause, which protects these gentlemen. Um, from uh, liability, criminal or otherwise, because of actions they take in their official capacity. So they can't be sued or they can't be investigated. They can't be investigated for obstruction of justice. But make no mistake, that is what they are doing. They are obstructing the investigation. And it just shows you uh, which side um, is on the side of uh, the rule of law and which side is not. 
Then our Bias 101, and these are really good ones. Chris Berman talking with a bunch of Democratic strategists on air as if it's news is concerned the left's going too far, and they set him straight that, no, we're not going far left enough. Then Hallie Jackson, who's supposed to be a reporter, calls Michael Cole by his nickname on air. And my favorite, Brett Stevens. I'm at the New York Times to oppose Trump. And that's what the New York Times has always been opposing any GOP president. Look, the Republican Party has gone full on, in some places, white nationalists. And so I, I, I would venture to say it might be okay, if you will. It, it, it's, it's absolutely all right for Democrats to get a little bit more radical in some aspects. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Medicare for All was a radical concept that everyone said was too far left um, and that would tear down the fabric of health care as we know it. And now we've got very dem- Democrats from all over the spectrum talking about um a universal health care. Democratic voters do not go around uh, all day saying, gosh, are we a liberal party? Are we a more conservative party? They are looking for candidates who can tell a story, a story about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going to go. And they are looking for change. They are looking for fundamental change. When people are out there um, in their districts, John, they are talking about health care. They are talking about the economy. They are talking about the fact that the Republican Party is putting, and it's put, is just okay with putting kids in cages. And those are things that are resonating with voters across the spectrum. And so I think there's a conversation to be had about what, what type, like, who is it that that we want to be. I bet you can guess what we will be talking about. I'll give you a hint. Keiko Moen. Michael Cohen, basically. <laughs> She's Stephanie Roll. It, it rhymes with Keiko Moen. You know what? I really appreciate that. Allie, stop that. laughing at me. I just, you know, really, I like to give you a little something. Really appreciated that. <laughs> Donald Trump may be doing what I, doing his greatest disservice, which is he may be making Democrats lose their marbles. If Democrats are going to win, they need message focus, they need an optimistic strategy for the American people, and they want they need to show that they're not just interested in humiliating Trump, they're interested in making things better for Americans. Why would a Democrat listen to Brett Stevens, conservative columnist? Well, I know how conservatives think, and I've seen many of these, many of these uh, elections before. Look, uh, one of the reasons I'm at the New York Times is I'm, a, I'm an ever-Trumper. I want to see Donald Trump. I do not want to see... He came from the journal, we should say. Yeah, I do Wall not want to see Donald Trump re-elected. I want to make America sane again. I want a president that I can respect. And uh, I'm offering genuinely friendly advice. I tell you what, they don't even pretend anymore. Then there's this article, Salon mocks MSDNC for doing segments on Stormy Daniels. The reason why they mocked him? 455 segments in the last years. Just in the last year. 455. I bet CNN beat him. To the article I talked about, Washington Post asked for help identifying Trump golf partners. And they go on that. He's uh, identifying who might have golfed with Trump on 81 of the 111 days. We're still on, he's bad for golfing, but when Obama does it, presidents need time off. Then our big one for the week, and this, I'm not going to read it, but it came from the New York Times, and it's pretty much sparred on. Uh, Frank Bruni, who's a, just a uber lib, gets to go on there and just 
put out pages of stuff because he's tenured journalist. Mike pants the holy terror. And it basically breaks down as everybody's trying to push Trump out. He's worse because he's a Christian. And Christians are really, really bad. Liam Donovan. Bruni dusting off long forgotten your glazy take for the primary. Sure, Trump is terrible, but at least he's not one of those conventional Republican freak shows. Stephen Miller. Trump is literally Hitler, but we can't get rid of literally Hitler because of the real threat, a Christian. And that sums up our media. We'll go into stats without a bumper, but I got a soundbite, and I agree 100% with everything this man's about to say. I do want to get this in. CNN reporter Caitlin Collins uh, told she could not attend the Rose Garden event at the White House yesterday by White House Communications Deputy and former Fox News executive Bill Shine. This after she asked President Trump about Putin's proposed visit to Washington. Now, Fox News has come out in support of the CNN reporter. I support her as well. I support CNN. I think you have the right to ask questions that you want to ask. I don't know what tone or what specific questions were asked, but you've got a right to ask them, and I think it's wrong to exclude her. You join me in this? The, yes, uh, yes. The, we have to. This is about free uh, First Amendment. Okay. Right? So. I want to bring in Brent Bozell, Media Research Center President. Brent, are you with us on this, supporting CNN, the right to ask the question? Stop the presses. I'm not. I think it's the first time ever that I've disagreed with Stuart Varney. Um, <laughs> let me show you where I do, where I do agree. Look, first, let, let's, this, there's always been a cat and mouse game between the administration and the press. And there are different ways that this has played out. It, it, now, who gets credentialed in the White House? Who gets to go on Air Force One? Who does the president sit down with? These are all subjective calls that are made. So there is that tension. In the case of CNN, while I agree with you forcefully that a reporter should be allowed to ask a question, what's going on with CNN is that it is no longer a news network. And I don't say this facetiously. You just have to watch this network. From dawn to dusk and beyond, all it does is attack Donald Trump. No matter what happens, they find a reason to attack him. I agree with you. I think that this White House is finally sick and tired of it. Can we summarize it like this? I agree with you in principle that a reporter should not be stopped from asking valid questions to the President of the United States. But I do also agree with you that CNN, uh, look, uh, it's a network which I myself and Lou Dobbs, my colleague on Fox Business, we helped found that network. I was the first person to broadcast for CNN on day one of the network from New York. So it's sad to see CNN develop into I'm not going to call it a propaganda organization, but it is so over the top and it's contempt for our president that I've got to walk away from it. I just can't handle it. Let me me move on. Go on, go on. Well, I'm going to say it must be painful for you. Um, but by the same token, I do think I do believe they are propaganda. Uh, I think they, they are. I think Rush Limbaugh is right. These reporters, these journalists now lead the left. You just have to watch CNN. And the stories that they are running day and night have nothing to do with the news. The public, right. all That's opinion right. polls show that people could care less about Cohen. They care about trade. So what does CNN talk about? Cohen, not yeah. trade. Your organization found that coverage of President Trump since the day he took office until June 30th, 2018, it's been hopelessly negative. Give me the number, please. 
Well, it's been around 90%, 89, 92%. uh, But the new study that we came out with was on immigration in the last 18 months. 92% negative coverage of this administration on immigration. Here's some quick, a couple quick numbers. If you look at the number of sound bites that have been given to people who support illegal immigration, 485. If you, these are victims of, of, of Trump's policies, 485. Victims of illegal immigration, five. If you look at people who support illegal immigration, they've been on there 85 times. You look at people who oppose illegal immigration, four times. Uh-huh. There is no, <laughs> no semblance whatsoever. It's extraordinary. Brent, I'm sorry I'm out of time, but that's a, a fine I know, I report. Know. Very interesting. Brent Bozell, good man. Thank See you, you soon. Thank you, sir. They are pure propaganda. Our stat that I'd like to have up front, it's not really a stat, but it, it shows the sign of the times, thanks to progressives in the media and the hands-up, don't-shoot phenomenon that was based on a total fucking lie. Toledo police, alert, Officer-involved shooting in the North End, scene is safe, no officers injured. Use alternate routes to avoid LaGrange and Hudson. From the Toledo Blade newspaper. Officers with the Special Operation Unit initiated a stop of a person of interest in a robbery when he fled on bicycle, Toledo Police Department spokesman Lieutenant Kevin Tony said. Officers fired after him after he produced a weapon, Lieutenant Tooney said. Toledo police put a photo of the weapon on their Twitter page Friday night showing a Smith & Wesson 9 mil. Rumors quickly spread on Twitter and Facebook that the deceased was an unarmed 16-year-old boy, which isn't true. Where did it come from? Our resident racist that gets all sorts of print time at WAPO. Tariq Nasheed, a 16-year-old black child, was just executed by race soldiers in Toledo, Ohio today. He is just the latest casualty in this anti-black, white supremacist war. Via Rondell Thomas, another one. Toledo police killed a 16-year-old kid, shot him seven times. It prompted, because of Tariq Nasheed, Toledo police to do this. Update officer-involved shooting. Include members of the Toledo Police Special Ops conducting a surveillance on a robbery suspect. Officer shot when suspected suspect presented as Smith & Wesson shield 9mm firearm. Officer-involved shooting investigation going on will take time. We will provide updates as we get them. The person shot as 25, not a juvenile. He did have a firearm, and they put it in bold. Please be weary of misinformation. The descendant was identified Friday by the Lucas County Coroner Office as Lamar Richardson, 25, address unknown. It got so bad because of the race hustlers that they had to release his name and a picture without even notifying his family because Tariq Nasheed and the other black racists because they're racist. They're, they're not for justice, equality. They hate white people. They had pushed a lie. An outright lie. And it had gone viral. And now you know why I read star stories about Baltimore police doing nothing. Crime rates going up. People are dying. 
All you're doing, Tariq Nasheed, is making sure more black people die due to inner city crime, not the police. Because every time you do one of these, another cop, he could be black, pink, tutti fruity, it doesn't fucking matter. He steps back and goes, fuck it, I, I got a family to feed. I got a family to feed. I know they're going to put me on the sacrificial altar if something goes wrong and, and they just want to appease the fucking riots. I'll lose my job. Just like the Michael Brown guy. He's no longer in police. They ruined his life over a lie. There was no hands up, don't shoot. There was a 300-pound, huge, stoned-out-of-his-mind kid running at a police officer. He tried to grab the police officer's gun. The black president of the United States and the black attorney general said so, and you racist still don't believe it. It's very sad. Then good news about our economy came in, about the GDP, and the left didn't like it. Though I did hear Brooke Baldwin say something positive. A good economic story to tell. The president wants to highlight it amidst, obviously, the Russia investigation and facing the midterm elections as well. No, Savannah, you could tell there was sort of an urgency in the president's voice that bordered on of, of um, almost pulling a, pulling a muscle, trying to pat yourself on the back. He was, you could feel that he knows there's all these other headlines out there that are not good, especially this morning involving Michael Cohen, involving the Russia investigation. Um, frankly, even in, on the economic front, he got a lot of grief about trade from even fellow Republicans while traveling in the Midwest. So today felt like an attempt, and you could even hear it. He kept veering from his remarks and then going back to the remarks and extending them even longer, but all in a sense of trying really hard to, to say, hey, please pay, pay attention to the economic story and ignore the, all the other stuff. I get it. Politically, he needs to do this, uh, Savannah, but I can tell you there is a sense of where you overhyped something, and there were so many times in, that, in those remarks that it felt overhyped on how he was talking about the economy. Donald Trump's favorite subject, economic growth. Tomorrow, second quarter GDP coming out. Economists agree that it's going to be a good one, that figures can be anywhere from 4% to maybe even as high as 5%. But a lot of that is boosted by preemptive activity on tariffs, so let's see what happens. I'm going to trade our deficit, that helps. Let's see what happens. Go ahead, Dave. Well, while uh, all of us have been focused on D.C., there's been a trio of Western Democratic governors who've been really amping up their 2020 activity. Uh, John Hickenlooper from Colorado, who recently went to Iowa, is in New Hampshire tonight meeting with state party leaders. Jay Inslee from Washington was in Iowa recently, and the most 2024 of them all. Steve Bullock from Montana uh, is in New Hampshire next month, and I've recently been told that he's going to Iowa later this week. Like He'll Bullock. be in Dubuque tomorrow. And like the backdrop, cut of his jib. We'll see. And the backdrop, Democrats have never nominated a Western. 25 candidates, it looks like, Susan. Um, Vivian, scoop me. And I'm not, I'm not I'm nimble enough to, uh, to come up with an alternative. President Trump is going to take a lot of credit for these good numbers. Don't believe him. He's, uh, it's a lot of people who bought things because they're worried about his tariffs and a lot of false growth from uh, tax cuts juicing the economy that it's going to then slow down. Don't buy it. Here's the thing. With the economy booming like it is now, at least in GDP terms, and low unemployment rates among minorities and all that good news, he's still in the low 40s. And What's he going to be when we, have our, when we have our recession in two years? Yeah, and by the way, wages, flat. 
some positive news, uh, economically speaking, today. Uh, the president fulfilling major economic promise. The second quarter economic growth rate is out, and the U.S. economy is booming. Uh, the number hitting 4.1%, growing at the fastest pace we have seen in nearly four years. We're on track to hit the highest annual average growth rate in over 13 years. And I will say this right now, and I'll say it strongly, as the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers, and these are great numbers. Once again, we are the economic envy of the entire world. When I meet the leader countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. You're leading the entire world. They say it almost each and every time. All right, context is everything. So look at what's on your screen here. And over the past two decades, you can see the spikes under each president. And so how the New York Times cover it? Back when Obama was president, growth rate puts at 2.6% as economy pulls ahead. The 4.1 for Trump? Why Friday's GDP number may be a size too big. Tim Young, if there was only a way to show the New York Times bias, and here you go. Another person. MSM are master deceivers. Subtle lies of omission and agenda-friendly slants to stories. Years of perfecting the art of deception. Yeah. Then to show, once again, we got major problems at the FBI. Here's another Tucker Carlson soundbite. Yeah, they're in cahoots with SPLC. Well, as you already know, if you've been paying any attention at all, the Southern Poverty Law Center is an entirely fraudulent enterprise. The organization has nothing to do with the South or with poverty. It's a left-wing political group that uses hate crime designations to target its ideological enemies and to crush people. In 2012, the SPLC inspired a shooting attack on the Family Research Council by labeling the innocuous Christian organization a hate group. Just last month, the SPLC paid $3.3 million for falsely calling the Quilliam Foundation, quote, anti-Muslim extremists. We could go on. The Southern Poverty Law Center lies. They are utterly reckless, and they're totally dishonest. With that in mind, it was shocking to discover, as jaded as we are, and this show has discovered it exclusively, that the FBI has a long history of collaborating with the Southern Poverty Law Center. In 2009, for example, the FBI called the SPLC, quote, a well-known, established, and credible organization that monitors domestic terrorism in the U.S. The SPLC repeatedly has been allowed to brief FBI personnel on alleged terror threats to this country. Disturbingly, though, this relationship is ongoing, if you can believe it. Despite multiple requests from this program, the FBI has refused to describe the extent of its collaboration with the SPLC, we've asked repeatedly, or even to explain why it continues to work with a group like that. Instead, we've received meaningless and mindless boilerplate statements like this one, quote, For many years, the FBI has engaged with various organizations, both formally and informally. Such outreach is critical, a critical component of the FBI's mission, and we welcome information from these organizations on any possible violation of civil rights, hate crimes, or other potential crimes or threats. We do, however, evaluate our relationships with these groups as necessary to ensure the appropriateness of any interaction. Again, mindless pap that does not answer the question. We can report tonight that Congressman Matt Gates of Florida has sent a letter to FBI leadership asking them to explain their relationship with the SPLC, which is obviously very troubling, to put it mildly. 
Then tonight, the DOJ gave us another statement. This one said, quote, The Attorney General has directed the FBI to reevaluate their relationships with groups like this, the SPLC, to ensure the FBI does not partner with any group that discriminates, end quote, as the SPLC certainly does. Majid Nawaz is the founder of Quilliam. He just received that settlement we mentioned from the SPLC after they libeled him as an extremist. He's also the author of a tremendous book called Radical, My Journey Out of Islamist Extremism. Majid Nawaz joins us tonight. Thanks very much for coming on. So it was, it, it was partly from watching what they did to you that had us asking the question, well, you know, to what extent are they involved with the federal government? And we, we discovered this. But tell our viewers who maybe haven't followed this as close to your experience with the SPLC. Well, it's curious and fascinating at the same time uh, because I have been born and raised a Muslim. I spent the, my teenage years, in fact, with an Islamist organization seeking to uh, enforce Sharia law in Muslim-majority societies because I got radicalized. I ended up as a political prisoner in Egypt for my beliefs, um, and it was in jail that I reformed uh, my views and came out vowing to challenge Islamist extremism and founded Quilliam in 2008, and have been doing so now for, for 10 years. And the Southern Poverty Law Center decided to compile a list of what they deemed as anti-Muslim extremists and the oddity, the sheer oddity of placing a Muslim on a list of anti-Muslim extremists is what led me to then say uh, I need justice in this case because uh, my entire life, Tucker, has been defined uh, by my struggle and I got it wrong initially, I've been open about that, I wrote about it in my book my struggle to find a place for Muslims in the West that is at home with the West um, and, and, yes. and so to undermine my entire life's work by placing me on a list of anti-Muslim extremists, I found a step too far, and that's why um, I went to lawyers and got advice, and uh, it's why we took the action we did. And I can say, as someone who's interviewed scores of people like you, I think you are one of the most restrained and thoughtful and reasonable people on this topic I've ever interviewed. So to call you an extremist is very odd and, and dishonest. Well, so what effect did it, it have on you? Once a group like this d d defines you as an extremist, I mean, that's got to hurt your foundation, I would think. Well, first of all, I've got to say it places a target on the heads. Look, it's, it's no secret. It's already hard enough for Muslim reformers, liberal Muslim reformers, to speak out against extremism within our communities. People that do so are often targeted and often killed. There was a similar list that was published in Bangladesh against so-called Muslim heretics, um, and many of them were knocked off, assassinated by jihadists because they were deemed to be blasphemous or heretical. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who has since sought refuge in the United States of America, yes. her, her close friend of film director Theo van Gogh was murdered on the streets of Amsterdam and then a list was stabbed into his body and it named Ayan as being next. That's what we're up against here. And so the first thing it did is it placed me in grave danger. It placed Ayan Hirsi Ali in grave danger because she was also named on this list. But it also had material consequences. Um, when they did what they did, the reason they produced these lists is to convince media and to convince philanthropists and foundations not to, not to give grants to these sorts of people or these organizations. And it did have the those kind of material consequences for us as well. Um, and it's why we couldn't just lie back and, and, uh, and take this at face value as it was. We had to take action. And I'm glad that you did. And the fact that our FBI is collaborating with a group this discredited and reckless is really scary. Um, thank you very much for your account. I appreciate that. And congratulations on winning. You deserve it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's pretty fucking fucked up.
We've been talking about San Francisco a lot lately. i got to do this one because, remember, straws are illegal. Uh, there's towns in California, and they're now going to put somebody in prison for six months if they're caught with a straw. I'm not making that up. Six months. And then, of course, we talked about the voting. But this pretty much sums it up in my mind. Caroline O'Donovan, this morning in San Francisco, BART conductor on the PA. Please look around you... Please look around you for needles before you sit down. There's at least one needle in car 1551, and there may be others. Thank you, he says, at every stop. Once again, please make sure there are no needles in or around your seat before you sit down. Eventually, a woman in a BART uniform came through wearing rubber gloves and a face mask, carrying a dustpan and broom. What a job. Another person. There will also be officer cavity searching each passenger for plastic straws. This is the future liberals want. Progressivism in a nutshell. Heroin is fine. Plastic straws are evil. And that's pretty much true. Another Obama thing that came to fact, to fruition this week. Obama administration approved $200,000 grant to group with Al-Qaeda ties. Obama administration approved a $200,000 grant to a group in Sudan with ties to Al-Qaeda, even though it had been designated a terrorist financing organization by the U.S. years earlier, a conservative think tank revealed this week. So, yeah, we, we uh, conservatives bad, Trump's in cahoots with Russia, but Obama can give $200,000 to a terrorist group and billions of dollars to an, a terrorist financing country in Iran and I'm supposed to think like Page in Oregon that he was the greatest president ever. Oh, really? Yeah, not going to happen. So we'll go to our uh, music break, which is once again going to be Dark Tourist, a series on Netflix. Uh, I thought it was pretty fucking cool. And then we'll go into news, social media nuggets. Life can be dangerous when you're a dark tourist. My name is David Ferrier, and I've always been drawn to the weirder side of life. So I've decided to investigate dark tourism, a global phenomenon where people choose to vacation in places associated with death and destruction. What is it about going into war zones? Because I don't want to see it in a documentary. You want to see it firsthand. Oh my God, the level of radiation, that's higher than around Chernobyl. I'm into death. Jeffrey Dahmer. Women like David, you're going to get hurt tonight. Right. You're going to get drowned. You're going to get buried. Somebody's going to die tonight, you know. That vibe is just out there like the devil's out tonight. I've been forced out of my comfort zone, and somehow it's made me feel even more happy to be alive. I mean, how many dead bodies have you seen? Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, see, I've just seen one now. Maybe that's the whole point of dark tourism. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. 
nothing, man. This is this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see two. these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. To our military corner, Air Force Tech Sergeant John Chapman will be awarded the Medal of Honor in August. I plan on trying to get the sound bites from that. We're going to play that for our military corner on the next podcast. Once again, that is from Roberts Ridge Operation Anaconda during OEF. One. Returns of Korean remains raises hope for renewed searches. 55 sets were returned back. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, they actually went from North Korea to the States. Um, and in line with this, VFW is calling on families of, North- of Korean missing to provide DNA because they're really hoping there's going to be more searches for bodies. I remember being in uh, our battle positions around Pamu John. Back in two, well, what the fuck, 1990, um, <clears throat> and they passed a plane back. I don't know if there were remains in it, but uh, that's that's heartening to hear. Army announces winter deployments to Afghanistan and Korea this winter. The U.S. will deploy elements of the 4th Infantry and the 10th Mountain Division to Afghanistan and set a brigade combat team for the 1st Armored Division to Korea. Um, I, I still forget that that's how they do Korea now. I'm so used to... It's an assignment. That's how we went. We all went to the second ID, but that's how they're doing it. And I think it's uh, very interesting. Probably better if something blew up to be with your unit that you've trained with than to um, do it another way. And treating it like a deployment, that's cool. Um, I think it's better. Top five oddest things found on a military base this month. An elephant serving in the Indian military is an adventure. Even if you end up working in the chow hall, earlier this week a video surfaced of an elephant wandering through the dining facility, much to the chagrin of local troops. Rahul Singh. Can't get crazier than this. Elephant finds its way into nursing officers' mess in Bengari, July 24th. The next one, ah, dildo. Ah, yes, the British Army. These plucky royals obviously inspired much of the U.S. military's tradition. In this case, we can see the American Army's heritage on display as British troops try valiantly with a homemade stick to pluck a strategically placed dildo off the regimental headquarters of the storied Royal Hussars. The unit took to dealing with the um unit directly after being notified that groundskeepers would need 40 days to remove the, d- the dildo. They finally got a lift and got it removed, and that's a good prank. I don't care. Then there was an alligator. Yeah, an alligator was discovered lurking near the Marine Corps Air Station New River Barracks in North Carolina like a dependent that smells BAH and TRICARE. The cold-blooded killer had evidently lost his fear of Marines because someone, uh, um, totally not the PFC from Louisiana, had been feeding it near the barracks. And then this one. 
Desert Military Art Like Unearthed Treasures, a recent search of Google satellite imagery near 29 Palms, California, revealed an artistic formation in the desert that you can see from space. The meaning behind the art is unknown as the artist has chosen to remain anonymous. We can only guess that it's a trenchant critique of the duality of man. And that was pretty fucking freaky, um, to say the least. We're going to start our college crazy with a soundbite. As always, whenever something huge comes up, it came, comes the, you know, uh, boycott ICE, or in this case, Ocasio and our socialist ideals, uh, some smart conservative reporter goes out and asks questions of these millennial dumbasses on college campuses that back all this shit, and we find out they know absolutely nothing about nothing. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Congressional District talking to her supporters about democratic socialism. Is it any different from regular socialism? And who's going to pay for all this free stuff? Let's see what they have to say. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, just elected, 28 years old, uh, self-proclaimed democratic socialist, which has a lot of people talking. Uh, what are your views on her so far? Um, I mean, I've heard only positive things. We love her. Yeah, we do love her. We've, I voted for her because I'm from Queens. Uh, it was great. It's a breath of fresh air, and I hope it follows through into November. I like her spirit, and um, that she's very different. People tend to freak out when they hear the word socialism like applied to anything. Um, and why do you think that is? I think there's this old way of thinking about it. What do you think the government should be subsidizing? Um, so her platform includes um, free health care, college tuition, the minimum living wage, housing as a human right. Are those things that you think the government should be providing for people? Absolutely. Uh, are those things that you would support? Yes, it is. Are those all things that you would support the government subsidizing? 100%. I feel like everyone should have like um, free um, education and health care. How are we going to pay for those? Oh, God. I mean... Us. Us, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Who, in your mind, should pay for all of the free things? All of the free things? Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. But the government is funded by taxes. Yeah. I don't know where the money would come from, but they can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> More taxes on the rich people. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, they can afford it. Tax corporations, let's tax the 1% and find a way to support a living wage. The people with a good idea and a good reason to spend their tax money wouldn't mind actually paying more taxes. There are so many of these countries out there that are employing a lot more socialism in their government and into their politics, and they're doing really well. So, Is Venezuela doing that? Ooh, I don't know too much about Venezuela, honey. I think they need to... I mean, are they still communists right now? So like, they're technically socialists. Okay, okay. Look at other countries. It works. Like other countries, you pay higher taxes, but your government takes care of you. So when you see the social system failing in Venezuela, does that concern you? I mean... Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> My family's Cuban, and, like, I've seen the downfall of, like, extreme leftism. But also, like, I see how it, like, boosts the community, and, like, it has its up and downs, and I think we can definitely learn from history okay. on that terms. Okay. Our country needs change, and if it has to be on the opposite side... On the extreme polar opposite side, maybe it's what we need. Privatized health care is a huge issue, and if it was a government-funded thing, that would be, you know, when there aren't... Do you think the government would run it more efficiently? In a perfect world, sure. I'm liberal. I don't know exactly, like, where I'd stand, but I know, like, democratic 
socialist is better than conservative. It's just better than... It's the better option. In what way? Um, I, when I think of it, I just think of, like, more open-minded people. People that aren't, like, as economically conserved. Oh, it's just like our soundbite with PCU folks. They just don't have a clue. And neither does this one. College course disputes idea that heterosexual sex is natural. I just fucking read that. I, I, what, what the, what? Eugene Lane College is offering a queer ecologies course this fall devoted to countering heterosexist explanations of animals and nature. According to the instructor, common scientific practices like using the term male and female when describing reproduction among plants, animals, bees, bugs, contributes to the perception that queerness is unnatural. <laughs> Taught by Heather Davis, Queer Ecologies is a four-credit course offered by a school's cultural and media department for students who wish to disrupt prevailing heterosexist discourses and institutional articulations of sexuality and nature, drawing from traditions as diverse as evolutionary biology, LGBTQ+, EIEIO, Cosine of Four Movements, Feminist Science Studies, and Environmental Justice. This course will examine the way in which sex and nature are understood. Students will also draw important connections between material and cultural dimensions of environmental issues and examine in the ways in which sex and nature are understood in the light of multiple trajectories of power and matter. Such institutions, Davis said, often promote the idea that mammals only use sex for reproduction and that this is always heterosexual sex. We can see this is how queerness is often said to be unnatural rather than thinking about how queer sex might actually be helpful to the survival of the species. I don't even have a... I, I don't have a soundbite for this. I would play a soundbite, but I just don't have a soundbite. The entire planet evolves with a type A and a type B, since we can't talk in gender terms, getting their scrump on. But you want to say that's not natural. And you're going to save the species by not reproducing. You understand how stupid that sounds, right? Maybe, maybe you don't. Then there's this one. LMU teaches Professor the Alphabet Soup of Sexual Orientation. Oh, Jesus. Loyal Marinot University will host LGBT activist Robin Oaks for an event on September 14th designed to help professors decipher the alphabet soup of sexual orientation and gender identities. A brochure for the event promises that Oaks will teach professors what they need to know in order to be culturally competent faculty members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQQIA, quilt bags, Every day it seems that there are more and more letters. The flyers reads, What are some of the new labels? How are people using and experiencing sexual orientation and gender in 2017? And what do you need to know for 2018? I need to know you guys are fucking moon bats. That's what I need to know. And I know that. I mean, I'm fully aware that... You people are fucking weird. It's like your own little secret code. 
You can't even decipher it. Why do I have to? Professor demands white editors resign from positions of power. Let's just get to the point. Don't have a job. You're white. California State University Fresno professor says the literary community must demand that white editors resign, saying it is intolerable for them to hold positions of power. Randa Jara issued the demand in a tweet responding to a controversy over the publication of a poem in the nation that some have called insensitive to minorities. Randa Jarar, I think we've heard this name before. At some point, all of us in the literary community must demand that white editors resign in time to step down and hand over the positions of power. We don't have to wait for them to fuck up. The fact that they hold these positions is fuck up enough. At some point, all of us in the literary community must demand that white editors resign. Saying it the first time wasn't good enough. We have to say it at least three or four times. Academic journal duped by author of Dog Rape Culture article is our next one. The author of a viral academic journal article about dog rape culture in Portland dog parks appeared to have misled the journal about her credentials. Helen Wilson purported to hold a PhD in feminist studies, but none of these institutions that offer such a degree could confirm that she had graduated from the program. Wilson also claimed to work with the Portland Ungendering Research Initiative, but the website for PER first appeared four days after she submitted the article and has only ever featured disclaimer that has been taken down. In her little screed, dog parks are a microcosm where hegemonic masculinist norms governing queering behavior and compulsory heterosexuality can be reserved in a cross-species Environments. Oh, okay. I. It's like they're speaking Portuguese. They just make this shit up. But there's good news out of Oregon. Oregon man has been awarded $25,000 settlement and written apology from his former high school principal after he was suspended for refusing to cover up or change his T-shirt, which read Donald J. Trump Border Wall Construction Company. A teenager wore the shirt, which read, The wall just got 10 feet taller to a politics class on, on a day there would be discussion of immigration. He was asked to cover the shirt by the school's assistant principal after the dean of students reported some of his classmates felt intimidated or threatened by words on a shirt. When he uncovered the shirt again, he was told he could cover it back up, change it a different shirt, or go home. The school counted his choice to go home as a suspension. Vice Principal Amanda Ryan Fear of Hillsborough School District, where there's a lot of Latinos, told the court that during the 2016-17 school year, Hispanic students reported to the administration that some family members had been deported and that the fear and anxiety caused by the specter of deportation was negatively impacting their attendance and attention in school. What that had to do with the t-shirt, we don't know, and apparently the court didn't either. Ruling affair in Addison Barnes, and once again, this is liberals think. Me just existing when other people are experiencing things and I have to experience them also. I must be punished because of what they did. I never expected any liberal moonbat or Chuck Todd to kit the fuck up and fight the war on terror. That was my experience. Doesn't have to be his experience, but this is their thing. Their experience is more important than your beliefs or norms. That's how they rule. How do I know that? 
Wisconsin judge rules state must pay for gender reassignment surgeries for people on Medicaid. There you go. Right there. I gotta pay because you don't know whether you want a dick or a vagina. Really? Well, I want fucking hair. Chuck Todd, pay for my fucking hair. And we got Chick-fil-A back. There have been some unsuccessful boycotts at Chick-fil-A restaurant in New York City and elsewhere. And now we're going to be one, there's going to be one attempted in Toronto, Canada. Business Insider. You are not welcome here. Pro-LGBTQ rights consumer vow to boycott Chick-fil-A after announcing its opening in Toronto. Chick-fil-A didn't receive a very warm welcome when announced plans this week to open in Toronto. The fast food chain has long attentions viewer relationship with LGBTQ because Dan Canthy has been a vocal in the past about not supporting same-sex marriages. In 2012, he told the Baptist Press he was guilty as charged when it came to the stance on how families should be constructed. We're very much supportive of the family. The biblical definition of a family unit, that's just fucking horrible. It was later revealed that the chain, through its win-ship Winshape Foundation had donated more than $2 million to same-sex marriage to organizations that oppose same-sex marriage which to me is his right we got organizations donating buttloads of money to abort babies can't do it the other way? really because of this angry consumers are boycotting the company on social media saying it has no place in Canada I know your homophobic history and your bankrolling of political candidates to promote anti-LGBT discrimination, one person wrote on a Twitter on Wednesday. That bigotry has no place in Canada. I'll be boycotting you and encouraging others to do the same. Chick-fil-A is proudly anti-LGBTQ, so no thank you, another one tweeted. I'll be spending my money elsewhere. Boycott Chick-fil-A. Another one. We cannot wait to join the Toronto community to become a part of the vibrant restaurant scene, contributing to economic development of the city, blah, blah, blah. That's Chick-fil-A. Nothing about gayness. Nothing about we're not going to hire gay people. Nothing about anything. Sam Burkus. Toronto has tons of great chicken places already, and none of them are run by homophobes. Support those places instead. Chris Lott. Just a friendly Canadian reminder that we are a progressive country and have morals and fight for equal rights for all. We don't want your bigoted and discriminatory business opening anywhere north of the border. So tolerant. The tolerance left. Hmm. Somebody said, Chick-fil-A totally looks like the tolerant one here. And they are. Jessica Valentini, Valentini, that fucking wench. My latest the New York Times. Until we grapple with how to stop misogynists themselves, starting with ensuring boys don't grow up to be one, women will never be free. Whether it's misogynist terrorism, the rash of young men feeling sexually entitled to women, or the persistent stereotype of real men as powerful and violent, it's never been clear that American boys are in desperate need of Solinsky brainwashing. I'm not going to read the article, but that's her latest take. Go after your little boys. Train them to be fucking tight pants or skinny pant wearing fucking eunuchs. And then when you're older and you want a guy to fucking actually take care of you, open doors for you, a little chivalry, respect you, you'll find it won't happen because you're just an equal. 
They don't see women and men. They see people. Hmm. Next article. And global warming really is responsible for soaring temperature experience in some parts of the com- world this summer. Then we are accurately, we can accurately say that global warming is responsible for bigger summer penises. That's right. Daily Mail Online. Soaring temperatures are giving men bigger summer penises. It's actually from a doctor. Dr. Dudley Danoth, author of Ultimate Guide to Male Sexuality, believes that hot temperatures cause blood vessels to widen and penises to swell. Adding, there's a reason people don't take honeymoons in the North Pole. Dr. Charlotte Lydia Riley, a female, sums it up. Burn everything. (laughs) Then Newsweek goes, why is it so hot? In July, climate experts say this is the new normal because it's called summer, you fucking morons. And then there was a disclosure that Tony Blair's director, his political director, is a huge, huge moon bat global cooling warming person. And he said climate change denial should be a crime with jail time. That's what he believes. Hmm. Okay. Then I found this one. I watched Star Trek again because I was bored the other day. There's a scene, and I don't know which one it is, where it's the one where the bad admiral has the big Star Trek ship and it hunts down and tries to kill Kirk and company. And his daughter is a blonde, short-haired, good-looking woman. She's very pretty. And there's just a scene in her underwear and bra. And she poses for a second, telling her to turn around. That was less sexist to more going back to the roots of what Star Trek was. And, you know, fucking Captain Kurt banged green chicks. You know, that's what he did. That was his deal. Green, black. He didn't give a fuck. He was an equal opportunity banger. Well, I found there was a huge outrage over this. Alice Eve's underwear scene getting heat from Star Trek critics. And... Branoff, who was the producer, had to apologize because he had a scene with a woman in her bra and panties. And it was inappropriate. That sounds like some right-wing Christian shit. That's that's what that sounds like. Like uber-Christian. Like Grandma Walton Christian. Really. Then we find out that the new Godzilla's coming back and Aquaman's coming back because we can't have enough fucking comic shit. But the problem with these stories... Humans are the infection in Godzilla, and we're ruining the planet, so Godzilla's going to try to kill us? And Aquaman's villain, he declares war on pollution. That's what that story's going to be. In other Hollywood news, the show that wasn't about Hillary, that wasn't there to help Hillary get elected, wasn't ever supposed to be that. It was just... Secretary, Madam Secretary, supposed to be just about a female Secretary of State. Could be Madeleine Albright, but her hair and the way she acted was kind of Hillary. Everybody hated it. The ratings are horrible, but they won't take it off the air because they don't want to crush Hillary. Yes, she's going to be on her own show. They're bringing her on. In a character. So, I'm sure all the resistance will watch that. But I guarantee you, I will show you the ratings and nobody will even watch it with Hillary on it. Anne Hathaway, all black people fear for their lives daily in America. 
That was her exclamation on a TV show. I could show you a thousand tweets from black people going, Hey, Ann, don't speak for us. But, you know, I won't. Jamel Hill planning to leave ESPN to produce race and gender videos. It's not really news what she was doing over there. The Root, imagine drinking water out of glass and still has a little bit of soap in it. That's what LaCroix tastes like. And unfortunate boogie black people love it. Somebody said, an African American, not as tasteless as the phrase boogie black people. From the article, although boogie black people, I, I'm bourgeois, it's not bourgeois, it's got a B-O-U-G-I-E, so I'm calling it a boogie. Black people have grown to be adapted to all seasons. Summertime is when they're truly in their element. Between the numerous festivals, fast days, parties, blah, blah, blah. Because that's the point of protecting styles for 11 months straight, if you want your hair out for two weeks in July... LaCroix is a perpetual conundrum, as the presence of it at parties is the source of greatest BBP-related mystery. By that this point, everyone knows that regardless of the flavor, it tastes like a hybrid gentrification of erectile dysfunction. But when planning for gatherings and shopping for these items, BBP still find a way to grab a case of LaCroix. Wow. They even stereotype black people. All whites are fucking racist and... All black people are idiots for drinking LaCroix. Why would I... I would not read the white guy if they said shit like that. Hmm. New York Times, New Hampshire is 94% white. It is now trying to figure out how to change that. That's a real thing. And, uh, they want to change their population. Jonas Sepsespa says it right. What's the optimum white percentage? How do we bring in millennials when they can't afford housing or get from point A to point B? Oregon shifts uncomfortably, another person said. Which I thought was fucking hilarious, because it's true. Oregon's fucking horrible. Just fucking horrible. Subversive siren swim at gay games. This is a thing. Turns out the Washington Post is good for something besides being a puppy wee-wee pad or making spitballs to shoot at the interns while straws are still legal. Specifically, if not the Post and its flaky feminist subsidiary, the Lily. I wouldn't know that Zoe Holloman, a 39-year-old black queer activist in Minneapolis, represents synchronized swimming and its future. The crucial information comes courtesy of Lily's story, The Subversive Sirens, which is made up of five women in their late 30s and 40s. They encourage a looser, splash-friendly synchro style that mirrors the open, inclusive image of the team presents. The ladies are mostly queer and mostly women of color. They demonstrate how all body shapes and sizes are beautiful, strong, and capable of doing amazing things. Good on them. Middle-aged, plus-sized women doing synchronized swimming is great, if that's your cup of tea, if not for everyone. We feel like it's really for everybody, Holliman says. The Lilliet is particularly for women of color and queer women. Word is getting around. Another team member said, we are getting messages like, hey, I'm fat, I'm queer, I used to do synchro in fourth grade, can I join? How's that for speed dating online? Because nothing can be just as actively, they ground their practice in queer and black liberation theory, the Lily enthuses. In the pool, the sirens are captivating. They are unified in their belief that joy is a radical act. It's a team of black liberation and social justice artists who are bringing their vision of self-care as an artistic practice poolside. Yeah, that's a, that's a real article from WAPO. Mm. 
I'm telling you, Cirque du Soleil, not going. Next time I'm going to watch gay, black women of color, splashy, synchronized dancing. That's, or swimming. Sorry. Fuck that up. Fuck that up. To non-PC bullshit, unearthing the mysteries of Egypt and the dunes of California coast. There's a 300-pound head of a sphinx that emerged from the dunes of California central coast. People lost their minds. They thought, what the fuck? But it's from Hollywood. It was a prop. It got buried in the sand. Stupid criminal 101. Police teen breaks into home. Ask couple for a Wi-Fi password. He roughed up a 60-year-old guy because he just wanted to download some porn. Well, you know. And animal news. Two sad ones. Orca mom mourns calf's death by carrying the body for days. An endangered orca whale died shortly after its birth on Tuesday, and the calf's mother has been tending to the body for three days. The calf was born near Victoria, British Columbia, beautiful place, 75 miles northwest of Seattle. Researchers worked to track southern resident killer whales response spawned the scene, the Center for Whale Research said in release. The organization observed the baby corpse sinking and the mother repeatedly bringing it back to surface. On Tuesday, the mother supported her offspring body on her forehead and she pushed it toward the island, the organization said. On Thursday, the mother labeled J-35 entered her third day of mourning with her calf. Ken Balcom, founder and principal investigator of the Center for Whale Research, told us USA Today. It's still happening, he said Thursday evening. He said that he has observed the behavior before, but not for this length of time. I could say something snarky that it's bad that killer whales love babies more than liberals, but I won't. But that shows how mammals act. So your heterosexual normative class about how it's not natural to be natural... Yeah, look at the whale. Just look at the whale. Sombra's our second one. The police dog sniffing, police drug sniffing dog is famous in Colombia. Now smugglers have put a bounty on their head. It busted 2,000 kilograms of cocaine in suitcases, boats, and they have a, what is it, 70,000 American courtesy bounty on the head of a dog. That's that's amazing. Good on you, doggy. Mm-hmm. I put this in the comedy section. I'm going to read it because it's, to me, just hilarious. So enjoy this craziness from the resistance. Rolling up to remember the spread of post-election selection drama after George W. Bush defeated Al Gore. And it didn't take long after the election of Donald Trump for the pieces to be published about how women were deciding they could no longer date. There's no room for dating in this place of grief. Dying their black hair, read it. Cutting it off, read it. Simply crying for days in the shower in the car, read that one. And that was before Trump was inaugurated. Now, a year and a half later, The Hill has picked up on the piece from the Canadian Broadcasting Company on its increase in patients claiming to suffer Trump anxiety disorder. The actual article... Therapists say they've seen a rise in anxiety under Trump. Therapists in the U.S. say they have seen a rise in politically related anxiety under the Trump presidency. Though a condition has not been officially named, therapists and patients have referred to it as Trump anxiety disorder. Or as conservatives call it, Trump derangement syndrome. 
Elizabeth Lamont, the founder of the D.C. Counseling and Psychotherapy Center in Washington, D.C., told CBC that there is a collective anxiety among her patients related to Trump's presidency, rhetoric, and policies. There's a fear of the world's ending, she said. It's very disorienting and constantly unsettling. She said that Trump's critic, whom she treats, exhibit similar behavior to patients who have parents with a personality disorder. Whether it's constant or not, I think we look at the President of the United States as a psychological parent, and I'm not reading anymore. Get a fucking life. Uh, you've got to be kidding me. APA even did a survey and they found correlation between stress levels and electronic news consumption, which led to the Trump derangement syndrome. So you fucking people are un-American as fuck. I, I didn't mourn for days in 2012 when Obama got elected. I, I, you know, it's just a fucking election. Fucking get a fucking clue to our lighter fare. We've had a lot of cool stuff, well not cool, but pathetic stuff from the left, handmaids, yada yada, but this one, oh my god, it got me. So the article goes, remember the Wolverines from Red Dawn? Not the reboot, mind you, but the original where a scrappy group of teens fought off the combined arms of Cuba and the Soviet Union after the dirty commies invaded America. Well, resistance protesters are channeling one of the movie's one of the best movies of all time, and now consider themselves as the real Wolverines. Get it? They're keeping America safe from the new Russian threat. Adam Parkomenko, oh boy, Kremlin Annex is what he tweeted. And there's a picture of treason traitor Wolverines. And they're kind of dressed up in costume like guys from fucking Red Dawn. I mean, seriously. Did you even watch the movie? Those people loved America. You don't. Then Caleb Hole brought in what I whispered to earlier. Owning this semi-automatic straw dispenser has more penalties than knowingly giving someone AIDS in California. Possible modification, a very huge straw attached like a bayonet on an AR. Strong, bad pundit. Whoa, that's a semi, fully semi-auto box clip bendy mag SB launcher. And they show somebody who has a straw dispenser on the bottom of an AR. And then a straw bayonet. Just a huge fucking straw. Somebody joked, will they ban straw purchases a gun? (laughs) Then one that made the left lose their mind. Politico, which you know they'd be looking for shit like this because they're part of the resistance. Spotted Robin Mueller, Robert Mueller and Donald Trump Jr. both waiting for their flights this morning at gate 35X at DCA. And there was all sorts of conspiracy theories that something was going on. That maybe Donald Trump Jr. was going to rat on his papa and all this stuff. It's like, what the fuck? Then showing that virtue signaling on the internet even goes for hamburger companies now. 
What in God's name is going on with Burger King? I got this from the Daily Wire. Back in January, the fast food chain produced a laughably bad video opposing the rollback of net neutrality rules. And now they're getting political again with a video supporting Representative Jackie Spear Pink Tax Repeal Act. Women get hit with a double whammy. They make less for doing the same work and they pay more for the same product of service because it's for women. Representative Spears said in a press release on equal payday back in April. Whether it's a pink teddy bear, deodorant for the same manufacturer, or a white laundered shirt, it's time to say enough! Discrimination is illegal! Why Burger King decided to make an ad for its chicken fries based on Spears' bill, we'll never know, but here it is. Burger King. We all pay the price when women are charged more. That's why we dropped the price of chicken fries for $1.69 for everyone. <laughs> what? <laughs> Women won't eat that. <laughs> oh, my God. These fucking people. So, being that it's football time, I'm going to rapidly go through a hundred things you should know about the Green Bay Packers. Cause I, I'll do a podcast on Sunday, um, which I'm shooting for Sunday, the, uh, 5th of August. Uh, but the ninth, we start preseason fo- football, the local team, the Titans are going up to Green Bay for preseason. And I found this great article on ESPN, the hundred things you didn't know about the Green Bay Packer for their hundredth season. So this is the hundredth season of the Packers. Titletown, USA, all their old championships. August 11th, 1919, Green Bay Pro Football Team was born. Uh, captain Curley, Ka- uh, Curley Lambo was named the captain. The birth of the NFL, Packer joined in 21. Publicly owned, $12,990, a net profit from operation in 1950. $75 net profit from operation in 2016. Jesus, that's a lot of money. That's my fault, I buy a lot of jerseys. $5 price of a Packer stock at 23, 1109 shares of stock sold in 23, $5,000 raised in 23, $25 for stock at 35, uh, 12,000 raised in 35, I'm skipping some, 25 in the 50s, we'll get to now, 2011 sale was 250 a stock, there were 270,000 stocks sold for $67 million they raised, and that helped pay for expansion. 23, first NFL game after playing independently for two seasons. Uh, they won over the Minneapolis Mar- Marines. That's what they were called. Wow. 1895, the year they arrived in Green Bay. Football arrived. Lambeau Field was dedicated in 1957. Uh, 1265 Lombardi Avenue, that's the address of Lambeau Field, which today not only seats 81,000 for the games, but has been sold out on season ticket basis since 1960. The largest renovation came in 2003 with a cost of 295 bucks, or 25 million, sorry. Waiting list, there are 133,000 people to start a 2018 season. I'm one of them, even though I'll never get the tickets if I ever come up. Hangermeister Parks, number 28, the Packers' first home field from 1919 to 22. Bellevue till uh, 23, 25 season with City Stadium. Home games went from 93 to 94 in Milwaukee. Borchette Field was a home game in 33. State 
Fair Park was a place they used to play back in the day. Marquette Stadium, County Stadium, the Frozen Tundra comes from the Ice Bowl. Built-in heaters, the healing system below the grass. That was under Lombardi. Not so Frozen Tundra. The Packers played the warmest game in Lambeau. September 24, 2017, when it was 89 degrees, a kickoff of the Bengals, and we barely beat them, motherfuckers. Retired numbers. The Packers commemorate their six retired numbers on the facade inside the bowl Lambeau. The first was Tony Canedo's number three. Then it was number 14, Hudson, 15, Star, 66, Nitschke, 92, Reggie White, and number four, Brett Farve. Not always green and gold. The Packers are known for those colors, but there wasn't always the case. The first colors were navy and gold after uh, the Notre Dame. Heritage Trail, started by team historian Cliff Crystal. Packer Heritage Trail, a self-guided historical tour of the team in the city. 20 of the 25 commemorative plaques are located within a two-mile radius of downtown Green Bay. 222 Mission Street, the site of Lombardi's first home. 48's Rockwood Lodge, Lambeau hand-picked training facility. Titletown District, the Packers own most of the land between Lambeau Field and I-41 and now includes Luxury Hotel, Brewery, Orthopedic Medical Care, Skating Rink, and Sledding Hill. Yeah. 50, Lee Remmel Press Box. 51, St. Norbert College, the camper camp where the Packers have trained. Nearby De Pere, Wisconsin, since 1958. Oneida Street, while the stadium address is listed on Lombardi Avenue, its borders on the east side of Oneida Street, which bisects the stadium and the team's practice field, Clark Hinkle Field. 53 Ridge Road, don't really care. Donna Hudson Center is an indoor training facility. Ray Nischke Field is for home training practices since 2009. Bike Kids, my favorite thing. They always have the bike kids. they Kids line up, little babies do, and they ride the bikes to practice. Lambeau Leap was, of course, Leroy Bolt Butler, first done December 26, 1993. Iron Man Streak, Brett Favre. 1806, 1806, total games played in Packer history, and that's playoffs and everything. 737, 562, and 37, their regular season record. 567 is their all-time winning percentage in the NFL, second only to the Dallas Cowboys at 573. 34-22, the Packer record in the playoffs. 32 playoff appearances, five Super Bowl appearances, 194 games played between the Packers and the Bears, 96-94-6 and six Packer record, including playoffs against the Bears with barely beating them. 31 and 32 and 1, the Packers record on Monday Night Football. We play terrible. 14 head coaches, 209 wins by Lambeau as the Packers head coach, the most in franchise history. 121 wins by by McCarthy as the Packers head coach, making him the only coach in franchise history with more than 100 wins. Four Packer coaches to win NFL titles McCarthy, Lambeau, Holmgren, and Lombardi. Six players to win the NFL MVP, Hudson, Horning, Taylor, Starr, and Favre 3, and Rodgers 2. Packers Hall of Famers, the Packer Hall of Fame, a separate entity from the team, houses a museum on Lambeau Field, includes 161 members. The two most recent, Mark Toshier and Ryan Longwell. Pro Football Hall of Famers, there's 24. Bears have the most, 27. 
Uh, Don Hudson, we don't need to hear that stuff. Moving along. Clark Hinkle, uh, Johnny Blood McNally, Vince Lombardi, Tonkinano, Forrest Gregg, Herb Averly, Lily Davis, Reggie White. We're moving, we're moving, we're moving. Ron Wolf. Brett Favre, the Ironman quarterback, led the Packers to Super Bowl 31, their first championship since Super Bowl 2, and won three straight NFL MVPs. Hall of Famer in waiting, Lombardi era guard Jerry Kramer will be elected in February and will be indicted in the Canton next month. And 100 future Hall of Famers. There are at least two more players with strong ties to the Packers who are guaranteed to end up in Canton, and that's Charles Woodson and Aaron Rodgers. So that's our top 100. We're going to do our usual, for those that are listening to the show, Oregon Duck preview of the <coughs> schedule and the Packer preview. And I'm planning on doing that Sunday as a subject. So I'm going to cut down some of the bullshit I do. Like just kind of take out fire for effect or take it down some. Maybe hypocrisy because that seems to be the longest portion I do. Do just articles instead of sound bites, and we're going to cover that to start the season. There'll be a section you can fast forward through if you're not a Packer fan or a Duck fan. And I'm excited. Hopefully, no anthem protests this year. I can watch me some football. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to FOPPOD. C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. My helicopter just fell down. Sorry about that. Remember, check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. FOP podcast.com. It's a theme. To see links to feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page, and email us. There you'll all see a link to every episode on the episode release page. And my blog, which is just a page that's just there, and I never do it because I forget the blog. And even though I should blog, I don't blog. Our next podcast will be 5 August, year of our Lord, 2018. I'm heading out after this, going to mix it, get it posted, go pick up my boat. I had to invest $1,500 into my Tracker 16 panfish that's been sitting for two years. Mama wasn't happy about that. And tomorrow I'm going to go fishing. I've been fishing and... Probably three years. It's been a long time since I went fishing, so wish me luck on that. For the rest of you, have a great work week. Be safe out there. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs. Enjoy the people in your lives. And tune back in on August 5th for another exciting episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Five Over Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.